0: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's Wednesday, September 30th, 2009. I've successfully over prepared again. I gotta warn you, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is a long one. Sermon review is gonna take a bit of time. I'll explain in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. This program is is not politically uh, correct, I do name names and uh, point out uh, errors in abundance here at Fighting for the Faith, and if that makes you squeamish and queasy, um, and you're looking instead for something that'll give you three easy tips on how to have a spicier sex life, uh, then this program really is um, not for you. Just want to let you know that up front and ahead of time. (sighs) All right. I feel like I'm in a race today. Uh, yeah i 'm looking at uh, what we got on deck, and I can tell you we 're probably going to make some cuts along the way. I apologize but uh, it's it 's one of those things I got a quick email I need to read. Uh, Karen emailed me uh, the lyrics of a song uh, that uh, is being taught in a Bible in a Sunday school f- class for kids and wanted to know my thoughts on it we 'll be chiming in about that particular song i uh, got the headline here from uh, the Christian Post. It says, uh, Protestant leaders are unwavering in their commitment to conversation. <laughs> There's a backbone for you. We'll be uh, <clears throat> reading that story. And then I'm going to do two uh, two stories kind of back to back and see if you can uh, see what's going on here. One is called Five Warning Signs of uh, of Declining Church Health, which I think completely misses the point. And then a uh, another story called Reformed Baptist preaches uh, on proper role of ministers that gets the point. Uh, I, I'm going to put gonna read these two in tandem. You know, they were published a couple of days apart, but when you put them together, I think it makes an interesting point. And uh, and looking at it, it depending on time. There are, I've got two uh, two stories that are on deck that, uh, depending on our time today, may or may not make the cut. One is called "New Bible Study Helps Christians Live Abundant Lives." Ugh, ugh. Can't wait to go through that one. That, that, that's the abundant life heresy seems to be uh, one of the things that's out there. It's kind of like uh, the prosperity uh, light heresy, and it's all over. American evangelicalism and uh, I want to talk about it and then um and then if we do get time today uh, if not I'll do it tomorrow Perry Noble uh has a, a a piece entitled uh 14 things Jesus did not say. Uh Perry Noble of New Spring Church. Yeah, 14 things Jesus did not say. Well, I can I can tell you a few things Jesus uh, hasn't said. He I know for a fact Jesus never said the words, "Hey honey, let's park the truck. Down at the Piggly Wiggly and uh, and head on in and have some, uh, yeah, yeah, you understand what I'm saying. <sighs> and then today's sermon review, by the way, hour number two, it's it's going to be longer than an hour, by the way. It, it, we, it's going to be a long sermon review because it's a long sermon, and I would uh, request ahead of time that you stick with it. Um, it is a Perry Noble sermon review. Uh, we're reviewing uh, uh, sermon number two in a series entitled The Five Lies of the Devil. We've talked about this tongue-in-cheek. And uh, I'm actually going to review the entire sermon. And it's lie number two. Apparently the devil is out there lying to people, and and this is a huge lie. And the lie is that New Spring just wants your money. Right after Jesus told Adam and Eve that uh, they would be like God, uh, God knowing uh, good and evil, uh, and that they wouldn't surely die, then the next thing after that, Satan said, and New Spring just wants your money. So, we're going to be reviewing that sermon. It's a sermon supposedly about tithing and stuff like that. So, uh, definitely one you want to listen to. We're going to take a look at it in light of law and gospel and see how he's handling scripture. And I can tell you ahead of time, um, <clears throat> just in uh, previewing this sermon for the program and getting ready to do my program prep. Um, I felt my blood pressure getting up there. So um, if I blow a gasket and you hear me thud and hit the table, dial 911. I probably have had an aneurysm. I'm just telling you ahead of time. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, it's it's one of those kind of things. So anyway, <clears throat> with that in mind, make yourself comfortable. It's in, enjoy the ride. It's, it's we got a lot of ground to cover today, and uh, already I can tell you there's some things that may not make the cut. But then again, uh, you know me; it seems like I'm always over preparing. So <clears throat> yeah. It, it, oh, and by the way, I've lost another pound. Yeah, that's true. I'm now up to eleven pounds. I've lost eleven pounds. I cannot believe this, and. uh <laughs> and uh my total gym is an important part of that weight loss just want to let you know in fact uh, in fact I mentioned this yesterday uh, total gym is kind of an advertiser here at Pirate Christian Radio right now and uh, they're having a sale that's good through October fifth, where you get fifty percent off of uh, a, a really high quality Total Gym. And if you've been thinking about a Total Gym, this is the time to uh, to buy it. Don't wait till January; that's it, then you pay full price. But uh, you know, if, if you have the budget for it, definitely take a look at it and go to uh, piratechristianradio.com dot com forward slash Total Gym uh, for, and then click on the on the uh, banner that we have on that page, and it'll take you to uh, Total Gym. You can go from there. <sighs> yeah, it's strange that I'm becoming a poster boy for weight loss. I'm still, I gotta admit, I feel great, but um, I'm still, I, I haven't fully embraced this new role in my life yet, because uh, I'm, you know, I, I when you look at me, I'm still, you know, overweight got a ways to go let's just put it that way um where do i want to be when this is all done so that's kind of the question i don't know where i'm going to land i think i'm going to end up being like 16170 when it's all done which you know means i still have 70 pounds to go <coughs> did i say that out loud anyway all right, uh, email from Karen. I do not know where Karen is from. She says, about four months ago, I, after I started listening to your show, I was asked uh, asked to start teaching the children at our church. I was appalled at how the curriculum almost every week seemed to twist a Bible passage into something the kids should obey or a way that they should act. Uh, Karen, let me tell you that that is, a, that is a serious problem with most Sunday school curriculum. And it's, you know, it's... Uh, kids you got to be careful with this stuff If, if you if you feed your kids a steady diet of nothing but law and moralism they will grow up to either be pietists or atheists and uh it's not that is not a good thing and so um may i just already i can tell you right now whoever's in charge of getting your curriculum at that church you need to have a conversation with that person and say listen I'm not hearing the gospel in this uh, in this curriculum, and it, this is all nothing but moralism. And our kids need the gospel as well as the law. And uh, that being the case, I know you uh, in your uh, in your P.S. in your postscript here, you you say that you attend a Baptist church that does accurately teach law and gospel during the church service. That being the case. Um, Even though you're a Baptist congregation, may I recommend that you uh, visit the website for Concordia Publishing House, um, cph.org, and uh, they have some really, really good Christ-centered, correct law and gospel um, uh, uh, Sunday school curriculum called uh, Growing in Christ – and um definitely worth getting uh, and i am saying that not because i'm trying to make lutherans out of your baptist kids but because it i've seen uh the the really bad curricu- uh, sunday school curriculums that are out there that are, that you know being mass marketed and you're right they do twist the bible and they do um, really focus in on law, 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 and it's not—it's it, not good. If you want to make your children unbelievers and make your uh, make your young boys want to you know, run out of Sunday school class screaming and never want to darken the doorstep again, then continue just feeding them law. Anyway, <clears throat> let me read on the, the email here. All right. She says, I, I changed I change the lessons to teaching what the Bible passage actually says. Good for you. Sometimes I think I'm too sensitive to law teaching and may skip over something I should teach. Someone at church wants to teach the kids the obedience song. Oh, man. My first reaction was no. What do you think? The lyrics are this. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy with you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Um, If there's no gospel in this passage, uh, in this song, notice that basically this is singing about yourself and it's an admonishment to obedience it's all law uh, there is no gospel nothing about what christ has done it's all you what you have to do uh that being the case i wouldn't teach my children this in good conscience and i am glad to hear that you are uh trying to teach what the bible passage actually says and uh and uh, i would this uh, obedience song um makes me really queasy uh, without gospel in it without the, the obedience being a fruit of repentance and faith in Christ uh then this is just pure moralism and this is again it, it's a it's a epidemic right now uh in curriculum uh that that you pick up from Christian bookstores and different uh, publishing houses and uh you know seriously you you might want to consider getting different curriculum I know I wouldn't sing this song and no you're not being overly sensitive and, and understand this we're it's not law or gospel it's both law and gospel that we have to that we have to teach our kids as well as our adults law to condemn sin and to show what a good work is and uh, gospel to comfort us and offer us the forgiveness of sins because we of all we've all transgressed uh God's law so um th- th- this song is just all law no gospel and uh, not only that it it's not even a, a valid use of the law it's it, it, uh, well Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Believe what? Uh, no, I, it's not a good song. Stay away from it. All right, moving along here. Okay. From the Christian Post, the headline reads, Protestant leaders unwavering in commitment to conversation. <gasps> Unbelievable. I just, wow. They, they at the end, <laughs> unwavering and commitment to conversation. This is an emergent talk. This is by Lillian Kwan from the Christian Post. Episcopal presiding bishop Catherine Jefford Shory defended the use of conversation, especially in matters of disagreement. We're committed to conversation. How about committed to uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sins? How about committed to uh, letting God's be th- God's word be authoritative and norming when it comes to morals and uh things like that? You know, <clears throat> in a commentary posted on the Episcopal News Service Tuesday, Episcopal had the Episcopal had rejected uncivilized interactions all oh, that'll yeah without sticking it to him yeah you know no uncivilized interactions when debating issues and promoted conversation as a better way what what a, what a great moral example uh, Catherine jeffert sure he is here <clears throat> quote the peace we share in church today is often a pale imitation of such a deeply meant promise to uphold the other even in the face of potentially competing claims, she wrote, "It is that willingness to stand together in difficulty that we are continually challenged to relearn." <laughs> what? <laughs> what <did> that mean?
1: <laughs>
0: I, oh man, you cannot write this. This I this I'm hearing words again, hearing words and just just not understanding. Yes, ma'am? Yeah, that's what that sentence uh that quote sounded like. Let me read it again. Uh the peace we share in church today is often a pale imitation of such a deeply meant promise to uphold the other even in the face of a poten- of potentially competing claims. It is that willingness to stand together in difficulty that we are continually challenged to relearn. Huh? I commend the practice of more patient and intimate conversation, she added. The kind of patient, time-consuming conversation that our forebears and spiritual guides knew and still know can bring unexpected discoveries about our neighbors, ourselves, and our purported enemies. (sighs) Yeah, um, yeah, Yeah, that's what I'm hearing there. By the way, which of the uh, <clears throat> which of the Old Testament prophets was committed to conversation? Had an unwavering commitment to time-consuming conversation and upholding the other? Answer: None. None whatsoever. <sighs> we continue. Since her installation as the first female presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in 2006, which, by the way, is a judgment from God on the uh, Episcopal Church, uh, Jeffrey Shorey has made continuous calls for conversation amid debates over homosexuality in the Bible. Well, see, the, the, she's not co- she, she has an unwavering commitment to conversation rather than an unwavering commitment to God's word. <clears throat> the Episcopal Church, the U.S. arm of Anglicanism, caused an uproar in 2003 by consecrating the first openly gay bishop. Since the, then, the U.S. body practiced restraint with regards to matters of homosexuality. Well, that See, that just makes it all better. But this year, Episcopal leaders approved resolutions opening the denomination's ordination process to all individuals, including practicing homosexuals and calling for the development of theological and liturgical resources for the blessing of same-gender relationships. You see, she doesn't have an unwavering commitment to what God's Word says. She has an unwavering commitment to... C- conversation and so at this point, if you say that she's sinful, she needs to repent, and she and they need to, and she needs to leave as the bishop of the. That's just uncivilized interaction, according to her. And she's she's rejected uncivilized interactions, but she does have an unwavering commitment to conversation. Following the votes, uh, Jeffrey Shori encouraged Episcopalians to again enter into dialogue, stating. We are called by God to continue to wrestle with the circumstances in which we live and move and have our being and to do it as carefully and faithfully as we are able in companionship with those who disagree vehemently and agree wholeheartedly. (sighs) Yeah, uh uh-huh. On Tuesday, she explained the meaning of Conversation as to spend time with. The conversation she has been encouraging within the Anglican Communion is more about being with rather than using words. Yes, see, she wants to have a conversation where you, it's not about using words, it's about being with. Yeah, uh huh. Um, It is the co- connotation of being in community, coming to know others in the intimate way that o- only is possible in proximity. Sharing food, business dealings, likes and dislikes, even prayer in the Eucharist. Yeah, uh-huh. Similar calls for conversation have recently been made by the head of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Reverend Mark S. Hansen. The ELCA vote last month to allow partnered gays and lesbians to be ordained, left the denomination divided, and congregations have threatened to sever ties. In the aftermath of the uh, controversial vote, Hansen has made several pleas to the denomination to remain in conversation. Yeah,
1: uh uh-huh.
0: Uh, The church, he said, should be a place for rich theological conversation and inquiry and faith expressions and explorations where people feel safe to preach and serve in ways that they believe are constant with the vows one takes in ordination and and the promises one makes in the affirmation of baptism. Mm Mm-hmm. But such conversations in mainline Protestant circles and evangelical ones seem to lead to no- nowhere, says one conservative minister. Well, it, really? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. They lead nowhere because that's where they're supposed to go. We don't. We don't want to have anyone telling us what we've done is unbiblical. So what we want to do is we want to stay in pro- pro- close proximity so that we can have intimate conversation which doesn't involve words but just means being isn't that that's all about just gumming up the work so we don't have to deal with the thorny issue of that god's word actually contradicts what these people are doing uh this is john MacArthur. quote the goal isn't to arrive at any common understanding or or settled conviction about what's true and what's false john MacArthur points out in the jesus you can't ignore instead the whole point seems to get as Many different opinions into a mix as possible and then perpetuate the lavish, lighthearted friend friendliness of the discussion indefinitely. Right. Exactly. That way we don't have to deal with the fact that homosexuality is a sin and God forbids it. And that God is offering the forgiveness of sins to homosexuals and calling them to repentance. Um, no, instead, they just want to affirm him in their sinfulness. Differences over biblical and theological matters are supposed to remain blithely congenial and complacently detached from any sort of passion in a pure and academic style exchange of ideas and opinions that 's right th- those are th- that would be uh, what did show uncivilized interactions if he did that um, okay he cautions when peaceful coexistence with our deepest differences becomes priority one and conflict per se is demonized as inherently sub Christian. Any and every false religious belief can and will demand an equal voice in the conversation. MacArthur is right. And I tell you, it's just absolutely ridiculous that with these people... Let's have a conversation. In other words, we're just going to... We're just going to sit and be with each other, whatever that means. All right, I'm going to read two stories back-to-back. Back. We're going to start this one on this side of the break, and then we're going to finish on the other story on the other side of the break. This is a The name of the story is Five Warning Signs of Declining Church Health. Five Warning Signs of Declining Church Health. Uh, however, the author of this, Tom S. Rayner, who is a guest post columnist, he's uh, Dr. Tom Rayner's president and CEO of... LifeWay Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention. I think he kind of misses uh, an important thing that has to do with um, church health. And see if we can uh, identify it. Let's see here. Um, says Dr. Rayner, we, uh, we would fear from many of the congregants uh, that their church was healthy and thriving. Then we would see the warning signs. Um Nellie Joe and I had been married 27 years on on uh, December 17, 2004. We were in Naples, Florida, enjoying the sunshine and each other. Then the phone call came. We had been given a great deal of confidence that the biopsy would likely uh, prove negative. Uh, proceed with our anniversary celebration. We were told in the unlikely event that the report was not good, they would let us know. The report was not good. Uh, Nellie Joe had cancer. The next two years would prove to be some of the most challenging years of our lives in marriage. Okay, so the, it starts off with a metaphor. Unhealthy, her his wife had cancer. So uh, when unhealthy body looks healthy, uh, looking back, it is amazing to recall how healthy Nellie Jo looked. Uh, she showed no signs of fatigue or sickness as uh, she had not seen a couple of warning signs. Uh, She might have uh, found out too late about her cancer. She might uh, not be alive today. I've seen it countless times. My team would go into a church for a consultation, and we would begin interviewing church members. We would hear from many of the congregants that their church was healthy and thriving. Then we would see the warning signs, and we would begin to fear that the apparent healthy body was not really that healthy at all. The church was sick. Some of the churches were really sick. How would you know if a church is sick? What would be the warning signs that your church is sick? Well, what were some of the warning signs my team saw? Though the list was not exhaustive, these five issues were common. Some of the churches had one or two on the list. Some had all five. So apparently uh, this is a comprehensive list of five things that uh, shows uh, that your church isn't healthy. One, the church has few outwardly focused ministries. Most, of the budget dollars in the church are spent on the desires and comforts of church members. Uh, the ministry staff spends most of the time taking care of members with little time to reach out and minister to the community. The church is supposed to serve. Uh, <clears throat> just a real question. Uh, got a question here. Isn't the job of a pastor, you know, word and sacrament, uh, to feed God's sheep. Um, you know, just, pointing that out um let's see number two dropout rate is increasing members are leaving for other churches in the community or they are leaving the local church completely a common exit interview theme we heard was lack of deep biblical teaching and preaching in the church okay let me see if i have this straight okay you've got a problem you've got a warning sign if uh your ministry staff is spending their time taking care of members you know feeding them uh, but it's also a warning sign if people are leaving because they're not they're they're not getting deep biblical uh, teaching and preaching. Number three, the church is experiencing conflict over issues of budget and building. When the focus of the church members becomes how the how the facilities and money can meet their preferences, church health is clearly on the wane. Uh, for corporate prayer is minimized. If the church makes prayer a low priority, makes God a low priority. Yeah, which of these seeker driven guys actually engage in corporate prayer? Uh, the pastor has become a chaplain. The church members view pastor as their personal chaplain, expecting him to be on call for their needs and preferences. When he doesn't make a visit at the expected time or when he doesn't show up for biblical class fellowship, he receives criticism. In not a few cases, the pastor has lost his job at the church because he was not omnipresent for the church members. <sighs> okay, um listen, it was part of my master's degree in business administration i, I One of the c- courses I've taken has to do with uh with organizational health and uh and also I've actually taken classes on consulting uh as part of my MBA. And I got to tell you, um, this diagnostic is so vague that it do, it doesn't really seem like it's useful. Um, we let me read. Uh, where do we go from here? The bad news is that few churches recover if the patterns above become normative. The church is a church in name only. It is a self gratifying rather than it's self gratifying rather than missional. It is more concerned about the great comfort than the great commission and the great commandment. Uh, the good news is that a few churches have moved from sickness. Uh, is that a few churches have moved from sickness to health? The path was not easy, and it, it first required that the congregants be brutally honest with themselves and God. It does not. Uh, it does no good to speak glowingly of a church that is unhealthy and getting worse. Many of the turnaround churches we consulted then moved to a time of corporate confession and repentance. They confessed to God their lack of obedience, and their selfish desire for their own comfort. Uh, <clears throat> forgiveness of sins and any anybody, forgiveness of sins. Why is that not in here? And still other churches made an intentional effort to shift the ministries and the money of the church to a greater outward focus. This step can be particularly painful since a number of church members often protest with vigor that their needs are no longer being met. Yes, yeah, see, in this diagnostic, there's actually two self defeating, two contradictory um, diagnostics. <sighs> Anyway, I read this because um, when I look at warning signs of, of the health of a church, I go right to the preaching, right to the preaching. Is the pastor correctly handling God's word and preaching law to convict people of their sins and the gospel to comfort people for the forgiveness of their sins? Is he proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified? Is he properly handling God's Word? It doesn't matter, hokum, if your church is outwardly missionally focused, if the if the thing you're focusing, you know, that you're bringing into your community is a self-help therapeutic uh, uh, message and not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're not bringing sound biblical doctrine. I mean, I, can show, I don't care how outwardly focused a church is, if they haven't got the biblical gospel, they are a sick church to, and should be avoided. That's the thing that's missing. When we come back, I'm going to read another um, article. It's called, Reformed Reformed Pastor Preaches on the Proper Role of Ministers. And I think this guy has a a little bit of a better insight into unhealthy churches than the Lifeway guy. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss that. Now, uh, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... You can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can email, uh, ask me my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is pirate Christian. We will be right back.
1: years are scratched here, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon. It's called Rex Kwon Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor. Okay. Now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seed offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
0: What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton, In God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth, no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with A Skeleton in God's Closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A skeleton in God's closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the home page. It's available for fourteen ninety nine plus four ninety five shipping and handling, and all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. We are back, launching into the second segment of the first hour here on Fighting for the Faith. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could really wreck your uh, satisfaction survey with your seeker-driven church. Okay, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That's right. Uh, we ex- we survive, literally, off of the generous contributions uh, that you all send in in order for us to pay our bills and our production costs and our airtime fees so that we can bring Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, we you know then do all of those things. We produce the show. You support us. It's a symbiotic partnership type of relationship. And so, again, without your generosity, we could not exist. And uh, and I'm calling on you all to exercise your generos- generosity generously uh, and over and again. Um, and you can support us a couple of ways. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And there, when you get there, click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay before we uh, went into our first break uh read the uh, s- the story that had the, the the diagnostics of an unhealthy church uh the problem is when I when I'm looking at an unhealthy church well, I'm looking at the preaching okay if your pastor uh, is really preaching the word of god as if it's the word of god and is correctly handling uh law and gospel and is proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name I tell you, you know, people will be regenerated, sinners will repent and receive the forgiveness of sins, and a church cannot help but become outwardly focused in proclaiming that news and making disciples. I'm telling you, it all comes down to the preaching. That's really what's at the root of it. <clears throat> that being the case, there's a great article, uh, another article, written by Lillian Kwan. The headline reads, Reformed Baptist Preaches on the Proper Role of Ministers. And this, I think this guy has, uh, the, this has something, well, it's, a, it's a, she's writing about a guy here, a Reformed pastor, and uh, this has got some good merit to it and stuff worth considering. I read, a, a minister who preaches on the authority and infallibility of scripture is often accused of being arrogant, said one pastor. Such criticism, however, is withheld from someone who sits on a stool in a cardigan And chats with the congregation, telling personal stories. (laughs) You you just almost, you know, what's that referring to? The seeker-driven guys. Uh, Criticizing the latter form, Doug Wilson, pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, made the case for the preacher who declares, thus saith the Lord. This is uh, what I refer to as preaching prophetically you're not preaching your words you're saying thus says the lord you're not saying "Ah, here's my opinion about something no you're saying god has spoken and here's what he said Uh, i continue quote a minister should ascend into the pulpit in order to declare what would have been true had he never been born he is there to preach what was written in the word before all ages and is utterly disconnected from his personal dreams hopes and aspirations. Well, if pastors did that, they wouldn't be able to be seeker driven and have these big mega churches that teach nothing but fluff. And <clears throat> sorry. Wilson said at the Desiring God Ministries National Conference in Minneapolis on Saturday a minister is not up there to develop a relationship with everybody individually. Ministers are not supposed to be extemporaneous actors trying to figure out their lines from everything other than the Bible, he noted. They may maintain their scripts are better, their plot lines are grittier, or that their shows make more money, but a minister's script is scripture, Wilson stressed. Mm -hmm. He is there to declare something that is outside of his control. What God has revealed to us in the Bible is the message. That's the script. Wilson, who describes himself as a biblical absolutist, oh, that just sounds so negative and narrow-minded, love it. Um, That's just exactly what you're supposed to be. Anyway, he gave a nearly 60-minute talk on Calvin, the Bible, and and the Western world during the three-day conference-themed With Calvin in the theater of God, the Moscow pastor who also helped to establish the Confederation of Reformed Evangelical Churches, the CREC, sees ongoing battles today on the infallibility and inerrancy of the word of God. But believers, he said, are neglecting the battle over the place of the Bible. Now, this is a great point that he's making. Uh, one of the things I've pointed out many times here in the program is, is that if you're attending these seeker-driven churches, they might, on their website, affirm the inerrancy of Scripture. But it doesn't matter because what happens is, is because of the type of preaching that they use, it doesn't matter if you have an inerrant Scripture. If the only thing you're using the Bible for is to strip mine it for life principles and tips on how to make your life more satisfying and make you more comfortable and, and how to succeed better in, in, in the different areas of your life, you don't need an infallible word of God. You just need advice that works. And when you stop preaching the, the Bible correctly, expositorily, and proclaiming it as thus saith the Lord prophetically, yeah, it's just a matter of time before the people in the in in your congregation, the, the inerrancy is like a mood issue. Who cares if the Bible's inerrant? It gave me some great advice last week that I was able to employ that, you know, kind of spice things up in the bedroom. You know what I mean? It, it, who cares if it's inerrant? <clears throat> we continue. Um, the uh, um sixteenth century reformer John Calvin taught and preached as if the Bible was the sun around which everything else uh, revolved. But many Christians have drifted far away from this, Wilson lamented. Some modern believers are heliocentric on matters of personal piety or the the denomination's confession, while geocentric with regard to matters involving the public square, he pointed out. Quote, what good to us is a perfect sun if it revolves around a very imperfect earth? And is, orb- and is orbiting us at greater and greater distances out so that now in the 21st century for most of the church it almost appears as, as a star. It doesn't matter if you say it's a very perfect star if it's way far away and orbiting us. He said, great metaphor, by the way, quote, if we want to learn Reformation basics from John Calvin, by the way, I'm a Lutheran, not a Calvinist, but I think this is still very valid points. He said, this is what we need to recover, an important issue concerning the nature of God's word. But in our day, the thing we are really clueless about is the authoritative centrality of God's word, not just that it's an error; it's that it's central. Good point. The conference speaker, however, cautioned ministers from making the subtle mistake many make while defending the inerrancy and centrality of scripture. He explained, we have fallen for the trap of thinking that inerrancy requires us to be grade nerds, always the best student in the class, but uh, one who cannot abide making a mistake and who will argue with the teacher, misses Enlightenment, over every last point. But what's even more fundamentally wrong is that the Bible is subject to proof and reasoning and weighed by the world's standards. The Bible is not, is not which meets the stand, the Bible is not which meets the standard. The Bible is that which sets the standard. That Wilson emphasized, the scriptures are not a possession of ours which we may put into the world's balances to be weighed. Rather, the scriptures are God's scales in which He places the entire world and all nations of men while christianity isn't uh, isn't a blind leap of fideism wilson said that in order to understand the scriptures rightly one must be converted to christ otherwise if you are if you're argued into christ you can't be argued out of him The role of preachers then is to declare the necessity of hearing the word of God, he highlighted. They were not sent to make a few mild suggestions, dialogue with the world and tell the world that it's quite right, or to indulge in a few postmodern dabblings of a theological nature, he noted. Rather, they were sent to declare what has been accomplished and not what they would like to have accomplished. Right. He's absolutely spot on. The Desiring God conference was held September 25th through the 27th and included speakers John Piper, pastor for preaching and vision at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Mark Talbot, associate pastor of philosophy at Wheaton College, among others. The theme of this year's conference was chosen in commemoration of the 500th anniversary of Calvin's birth. Now, when you put those two together, here's the deal. If you want to know whether a congregation is healthy or not, is the pastor preaching God's word authoritatively and centrally? Or you know, does he consider it the sun in which we orbit, or is, or is the pastor like uh, you know, um, Doug Wilson pointed out, preaching in such a way that the Bible is kind of a star that 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 circles me? You know, it's way out there and, and I can still see it and it's pretty and it's perfect, but it's way, way out there and really small, but it, 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 it orbits me. If that's the case, then you have a sick congregation. I don't care how missionally focused they are. You have a sick, sick, uh, church that needs to repent and get back to prophetically proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, and what Christ has accomplished, not what the pastor would like to see have ac- uh, accomplished, like, you know, uh, billions and billions of people like McDonald's coming through their doors. <sighs> All right. Okay, we actually have a little bit of time to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. All right, switching gears, I have I've just enough time to do one more thing, and then... um. From there, we'll go into our second break, and then when we get back from our second break, we're going to dive right into our sermon review today. Our sermon review is from Perry Noble of New Spring Church. Uh, The sermon series, The Five Lies of the Devil, Lie number 2, that um, oh-so-pernicious lie of the devil, New Spring just wants your money. Talk about somebody who um, doesn't preach the gospel authoritatively and centrally. Uh, all right, the um, all right. Let me see if I can find this real quick here. Um, what did I do? There we go. <clears throat> uh, this is from the Christian Newswire. The headline reads: "New Bible Study Helps Christians Live Abundant Lives." Uh, man, I'm just yeah, I'm so sick of this abundant life thing. Um, Kohath Ministries, um, uh, Huckson, Delaware, September 28th, uh, Kohath Ministries announced f- today the launch of its new Bible study, uh, real life living in abundance. Contrasting all the daily messages of uncertainty in the world, the study teaches Christians to look past their circumstances and make biblical choices that improve their lives. Okay, Um, yeah, it's all about me. Uh, The basis for the real-life series lies in John 10.10. There's a shock. A verse completely taken out of context. By the way, uh, when you talk about he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, that's only half the verse, by the way, and it's completely ripped out of context. Uh, It it, it lies in John 10.10, in which Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it in abundance. Uh, Jack Cohen, pastor and co-founder co-found, uh, of Cohath Ministries, said, you don't have to look far today to find people living less than full and abundant lives. Oh. I'm serious. Did the apostles go? Were, were Peter and James and John, um, you know, was Peter and Paul martyred because they were out there trying to help people uh, have full and abundant lives? Okay, hang on a second. I just, you know, this is the kind of stuff that just drives me just makes me absolutely crazy. All right, let me read the uh, again, uh, it's good to go over this passage from time to time. Let me read the uh, the passage in context, John chapter 10 verse 1. By the way, the three rules of sound biblical interpretation, the uh, 90% of all bad Bible uh, interpretation is cleared right up like a like a rash just by applying context, context, and context. And the good news is, is that context, context, and context, it's free. All you have to do is read. <clears throat> John 1. We're, so before I read John 10, 10, I'm going to read John 10 starting at verse 1 and get to it. Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Salvation, right? The thief, though, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now notice, I've already, re- I've read to um, verse uh, 14 here. And uh, this is all about Jesus being the good shepherd and that he knows his own and he saves them and they find pasture. He is the good shepherd. He's the door. This is all about Jesus. It's not about you having quote, the successful suburbanite life. Now I point this out because so many people take john 10:10 10, 10 out of context forgetting the fact that it's all about jesus versus bad shepherds or false or wolves and that he that the abundant life he's talking about here is salvation in him read verse 9 and uh, what they do is they equate the abundant life instead with um living a basically being a wealthy or well-to-do middle-class american suburbanite that's what living the life to the full means and so every so people now are selling bible studies that'll tell you the tips and tricks and things that you can apply in order to experience the, the quote abundant life being defined as that right let me um, contrast this then with somebody who i think really got the abundant life and that would be the apostle Paul, and uh, what I will do is I'm going to read uh, from uh, the Apostle Paul's testimony regarding himself, and um, and see if he is, this is exactly what the abundant life looks like biblically. So, if anyone says, "Hey, you don't are you living the abundant life?" Take him to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Starting at verse 16, I read, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying uh, with this boastful confidence, I say, uh, not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool, since many, uh, many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves, but you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever else, anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus minus. One. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches who is weak and I am not weak, who is made to fall and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying let me continue uh, uh you know move forward just a little bit here second corinthians chapter 12 picking up at uh, verse 5 on behalf of this man i will boast but on my own behalf i will not boast except of my weakness though if i should wish to boast i would not be a fool for i would not for i would be speaking the truth but i refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me so that the power of christ may rest upon me for the sake of christ then i am content with weakness insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i am weak then i am strong the apostle paul exemplifies the exact abundant life that jesus is talking about in john chapter 10 verse 10 the abundant life that jesus christ is talking about is not an abundance of wealth it's not an abundance of you having the perfect suburbanite family and nuclear family and a perfectly wonderful uh, marriage and well-behaved children and a beamer and a and a and a satisfying career and a and an ever expanding bank account the abundant life is an abundant life of weakness of calamities of insults, of hardship and persecution. For when I am weak, then I am strong, because we boast not in ourselves. We boast in our weakness, because our Lord is our abundant life. That's the point of John 10, 10. All right, we are up on our second break. When we come back, we're going to dive right into our sermon review so you definitely don't want to miss it. It's it, the name of the sermon is The Five Lies of the Devil, lie number 2, New Spring just wants your money. Yeah, that's up there with uh you will be like God knowing good and evil. <laughs> Can't make this up. It's going to be a long sermon review. I got to warn you ahead of time. And I in just I told you in previewing it, my blood pressure got up there. So I, I like I said if during the sermon review uh you hear me hit the the desk and I stop broadcasting, Dial 911. I've probably had an aneurysm. <clears throat> All right. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's edition or any previous edition of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. Look me up there, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is pirate Christian. We will be right back.
1: Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: This is the
1: air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with A Skeleton in God's Closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling and all proceeds Support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit PirateChristianRadio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Kitchen Source as one of our featured advertisers. Since 1996, Kitchen Source has been the leading online retailer of kitchen, bathroom, patio, and home accessories. Time and experience has allowed Kitchen Source to select some of the finest quality merchandise from top manufacturers around the globe. And they are pleased to continually add to their vast product selection in order to offer you the best home products. If you'd like to find out more about Kitchen Source, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. That's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. And then when you land on that homepage, click on the friendly web banner that will take you to the Kitchen Source website. And remember that a portion of all of your purchases at Kitchen Source goes to support the work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen today. Hour number two of fighting for the faith straight ahead. I'm gonna have to save um, this um, Perry Noble's 14 Things Jesus Didn't Say. I'll have to save that till tomorrow. We got a lot of ground to cover. That's right, it's time for our sermon review here at Fighting for the Faith. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all. As promised, uh, today's sermon review is of a sermon preached by uh, Perry Noble of uh, New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, entitled uh, The Five Lies of the Devil. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, the five lies of the devil. And we talked about this on an earlier edition of Fighting for the Faith. You, you See, when you think of the devil's lies, you think of things like, um, go ahead, eat the fruit. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Um... Uh, throw yourself off this temple, uh, off the temple, and the angels will catch you. Um, let's see. Turn these bread, these rocks into stones. Uh, I know. Uh, false doctrine isn't isn't a big deal at all. See, when when I think of the devil's lies, I think of some really important things. But uh, this sermon, lie number two. New spring, ter- new spring, just wants your money. Yeah, that that just ranks up there as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, the most satanic of lies ever told by Satan and his demons. I mean, can't you just see Satan wandering the planet, whispering in people's ears? New Spring just wants your money. I mean, it might even make, you know, CNN headline news. The rash of Satanists. Roaming the planet, telling everyone that New Spring just wants their money. <sighs> I, I, think you can pick the. I think you can see why I picked this particular sermon for review. All right, let's kill the music. Thank you very much. So, without any further ado, here is uh, Perry Noble of New Spring Church. On uh, the five lies of the devil, lie number two. <laughs> I mean, this one is millennia old. Um, New Spring just wants your money.
2: <sighs> How are we doing? Great. Whew. That kind of weak, but um, we're going to go with it, and we're going to get more excited as it goes on. Get your Bibles. Let's go. Second Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't know where to find Second Kings, go to the middle of your Bible. It's the Psalms. Hang a left. You'll find Second Kings. And if you didn't bring your Bible, we're going to put the um, scripture on the screen for you today for a small fee. This is just a joke because New Spring does not want your money. Today, we are talking. Notice,
0: the, uh, right there, right off the bat, he's is countering the satanic lie. I mean, New Spring just wants your money he, and r- bravely countering the attack of the devil. Uh, Perry Noble. I mean, lies of the five lies of the devil. Lie number two: New Spring just wants your, your money right off the bat. Bravely and boldly, uh, <clears throat> Perry Noble uh, of purpose-driven fame counters that satanic lie with the truth that New Spring doesn't want your money. Oh, this just just takes
2: courage. Talking about money. Yes. Woo! And from the... uh, I think we need it, don't we? All right, seriously... Why are you turning your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4? Let me let me just kind of set it up like this because I know what some of you are thinking. Yep, I knew it. It's a mega church. He's going to bring out his wife. She's got pink hair. Um, she's got enough makeup on. It looks like she lost a paintball gun war. They're going to cry. They're going to talk about resurrecting dead chickens. And the next thing you know, they're going to sell anointing oil and give me. And listen, I understand why you think that. Because sometimes in our minds, we make completely irrational jumps. I flew to Miami.
0: Well, actually... um. I've seen that before on uh, TBN, uh, Trinity uh, – I'm sorry, that's not Trinity, but uh, the terrible broadcasting network.
2: This week, and uh, Wednesday morning I got up, I flew down to my – Sorry, I, I,
0: it's actually the totally bogus network. That's what TBN stands for. are
2: Sorry. Miami, for a leadership roundtable, I got to participate with some phenomenal leaders across the world, and I, I, I got stretched. It was great, but my, but Wednesday morning, I mean, I don't know if you've paid attention to the news lately, but they're, they're predicting this swine flu outbreak this fall, and people are going to die, and there's going to be carnage and chaos and rioting in the streets. We're not going to eat bacon anymore. It's just going to be crazy, and so, so Wednesday You know, just,
0: just asking the, the kind of logical question, based upon the point that he's making here, I mean here we are in the fall and you know swine flu has broken out the N1H1 virus is you know there's pockets around the country where it's it's hitting epidemic uh, problems um you know with people potentially getting ready to die from H N1H1 um it's so brave of Perry Noble to make sure that those people you know as they take their last breath understand the truth and how to counter that uh, that that satanic lie that New Spring just wants your money.
2: And I see that on the news. And so Wednesday morning, literally, this this really did happen to me. Wednesday morning, I got up at about 4.45 um, to drink some coffee and hang out with God. And so I, I got up at 4.45. And when I got up, I was sick at my stomach. Have you ever just woke up and you felt nauseated and, like, for no reason at all, a little nauseated? Um, and I was like, okay, it's no problem. Um, I'll walk into the rest. Yeah, I
0: usually feel that way after listening to uh- – Purpose-driven sermons. and just something
2: I've noticed about my uh, you, you know, my digestive
0: tract.
2: And I started thinking, well, maybe I'm sick. Maybe I've, maybe, I've got, maybe I've got a sickness. By the time I made it from the restroom to the hallway to walk toward the kitchen, I was like, I might have swine flu. I really might have swine flu. By the time I started pouring my coffee, I was like, what if I die this morning at the table reading my Bible? By the time I sat down at the table to read- What if I die
0: at the table while reading my Bible? Oh, so pious of you. Yes. see, by the way, um, I just want to let you know, if you die while reading your Bible, uh, that's automatically at least six months off of purgatory. I just want to let you know that.
2: Read my Bible. I was like, maybe I need to write Lucretia and Karis a goodbye letter in case the swine flu kills me right here. at the time. And I just made irrational jumps. And every one of us in this room have done it. If you're the parent of a teenager, you tell them to be home at 11 o'clock. They're not home at 11 o'clock. You've got them dead in a ditch. You've got their funeral pre. I mean, you. I mean, you, seriously, you make irrational jumps. When you hear about layoffs going on in your company, you've already planned your next job because we, you have, you make irrational jumps. And when you walk into a megachurch, you hear the pastor get up and say, "Today is going to be on money." You're telling your wife, "You hold on your wallet." They, I mean, they, they, I mean, they're going to kill us before we get out of here. They got scanners at the doors to tell how much money we've got. I know it. That'll be a rumor next week. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, but so when you, walk into a, when you walk into a church and the pastor gets up and announces that he's going to talk about money, you make irrational jumps and you go, oh, this is, I mean, he's, he's, it's all about the money. But here's the lie of the devil we're going to talk about today. New Spring doesn't, lie number two, if you want to write this down. New Spring just wants your money that's what- oh
0: satanic life from the pit of hell can't you smell the sulfur yeah there uh, <clears throat> come on i'm all uh, <clears throat> see here's the deal um see i'm to the point where um you know the whole money thing regarding purpose-driven mega churches that's kind of a secondary issue when i whenever i walk into a mega church my first assumption is is that they actually wouldn 't know sound biblical doctrine if it bit them on their uh, on their uh, heretical posteriors <sighs> it 's a lie.
2: because I want you to understand something i don 't care who you are and i don 't care how much flipping money you have
0: oh he 's so brave here oh that I mean can 't you just see the devil slinking you know with his tail between his legs out of the back? Of uh, this uh, mega church in the south here. Uh.
2: The sermon today is not about NewSpring wanting your money. It's about whether or not you're truly following Jesus with your money. Don't turn this on the church.
0: <laughs> oh boy, oh, oh, oh. I you know I'm I'm gonna make some predictions right now. I bet you. Well, i got to be careful, you know, because wagering could get me in trouble Um, with some people. I don't want to wager too much, though. Uh, I've got a shiny, literally a brand new 2009 penny. I am willing to fork over, if somebody would spot my bet, that uh, this is going to be a, uh, a 99.97% all law and uh, the balance 0.03% uh, gospel sermon.
2: I just I'm just telling you, I'm fe- I can. <clears throat> when it's actually about you and your worship, it's going to get tense today. Many of you are going to leave and not like me today, which proves that I'm pre- preaching the word of God.
1: No, it doesn't.
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't. There's lots of
0: unlikable people who are who don't preach the word of God. I can name uh, lots of them. Anyway, uh, that's just ridiculous. I tell you, where did you learn logic, Perry? Uh,
2: did they teach that to you in seminary? Just asking. And so I'm. And let me just let just let you know, I, I the vi, I've I've never shown partiality to rich people. The vision has never been for sale. We had a lady call our church last year. True story. The,
0: <laughs> the vision has never been for sale. Um, what vision are you talking about? Did you have a direct vision from God? Um, did uh, the angel Gabriel appear at your bedside and give you a vision and said, whatever you do, don't sell this vision?
2: And she said, I've been watching your ministry online and God has done a significant work in my life and I would like to make a substantial donation. And I said... Well, then make a substantial donation. That's great. That's that's awesome. We're really excited about that. She called back and she said, No, I don't think you understand. I would like to give $8 million to your church. I said, Well, that's wonderful. She said, You sound skeptical. I said, I am skeptical. She said, Why? I said, Because I just don't get telephone calls telling me, I would like to give $8 million to your church. She said, well, what could I do to erase your skepticism? I said, a check for $8 million (laughs) would destroy it. (laughs) Turns out that this lady had literally traveled the southeast and was going from church to church promising pastor after pastor after pastor like multiple million dollars of money, and pastors were literally making plans building buildings, starting projects because this lady was traveling the southeast, deceiving people, promising them that she was going to give them money. But when she got to New Spring, I was like, you know what? If you want to give it, give it. But this church isn't about getting people's money. This church is about, listen, we don't want a thing from you. We want something for you. We want something, we want for you to live in freedom. And there are people going, well, why would you preach a message on money? Here's why I would preach a message on money because there are married couples in this room that you have had knockdown dragouts this week over money, and it's just not necessary. There are college students right now in this church that you, listen, if you will listen, you will protect yourself from being stupid financially. There are people
0: in this... You know, I I am so glad that there's a church out there willing to lay aside the gospel and uh, preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Put that aside and stand up to the lie of the devil and tell college students how to not make dumb financial decisions. Whew! Man, it's not like they couldn't... Do we need a dead and crucified Savior for that, by the way?
2: (sighs) room that are on the brink of making a really dumb financial decision and the bible has so much to say about money and so so it's not about news listen listen i want to invite you today just i mean
0: it's like ef hutton wrote you know like a third of the bible man i mean there's such
2: good advice in there yeah. it's not to give you know I, we're not going to do a guilt thing somebody like we've already taken the offering can i have my money back no but 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 next week because no, i don't we don't want your money i don't even care how much you got this morning
0: did i did i mention the fact that the this sermon series is entitled the five
2: lies of the devil <sighs> yeah <laughs> i want for you to live in financial freedom so so in order to do that we're going to ask ourselves yeah financial freedom yeah, you know that
0: um, biblically um, that's kind of like the least of my worries uh, perry Um, you familiar with that little concept known as sin? Uh, yeah, you know, actually sinning and transgressing God's laws, um, and, uh, the wrath of God and, uh, and hell and things like that. I mean, yes, the scriptures say it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, but I don't think he was talking about money. Um, at least not this side of the resurrection. I thought that Christ came to set me free from sin, death and the devil. I mean those are kind of the big things that, you know, I see in the Bible. Um uh, is it possible that this uh, that you're kind of off on the wrong thing and and as a result of being off on the wrong thing, you might actually be propagating a lie of the devil? You know, I just put it out there as a question. You know, we'll see how this uh, sermon develops. I mean, we are going to read the Bible, I'm sure, because he's already had us turn to Second Kings chapter 4.
2: Remember, go to the book of Psalms and then turn left. Four questions. Number one, here we go. Am I spinning out of control? When it comes to my finances, am I spinning out of control? Some of us in this room are spinning out of control. Let's, let's pick it up in a second Kings chapter four. We'll start verse one and, uh, I'm just going to read a verse and talk about it for a second. The Bible says a verse. Okay. Am I spending out of control? Yeah.
0: You know, um, how many financial management sermons did Jesus preach? We got the sermon on the Mount, um, any mention about out of control spending in the Sermon on the Mount? Not that I'm aware of. Um, any? How about any of the parables? Any of them about out of
2: control spending? I yeah, just, you know, I had to ask the question. This is this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, let me set this up. Elisha was the man of God in this time period, and he was like God's prophet. He was like God's man. They didn't have copies of the Bible in their home at this time period. And so if you wanted to hear from God, you would go to God's man. You would go to God's prophet. And so, based- uh, Not exactly. Um, God called
0: prophets uh, back in the Old Testament to... Call Israel. Think of think of Israel as the Old Testament church. Uh, back to uh, to God. He the, basically prophets were sent by God to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's funny. I mean, the, these are common themes in all of the prophets: repentance, you know, returning, turning and changing your mind regarding idolatry and the forgiveness of sins, and how God is merciful and kind and will forgive those who repent. Um so it's uh, by the way in the Old Testament yeah it's true that you they didn't have the printing press. However, um God's word uh, they did have. Um you've heard of the Torah, uh the writings. Um so it, the purpose of prophets was not to go specifically to uh, to learn God's word that way uh, as if they were walking Bibles. Uh, no, prophets were called to call people to repentance. You know, just want to throw that little historical tidbit in there. You, know, to, you want to make sure there's no lying going on during the sermon because this is a sermon about the devil's lie, so we've got to make sure there's no lies occurring in the sermon. And so uh, I'm just doing some fact-checking for Perry Noble.
2: Basically, this woman coming to Elisha would be coming to hear the word of God. It's almost like we go to church today to hear the word of God. And so she wanted some instruction from God. And that's why she came to Elisha. And the Bible says this. Your servant... This is her talking. Your servant, my husband, is dead.
0: Uh, By the way, um, his description there was actually factually incorrect. Um, But we continue with the story.
2: And you know that he revered the Lord. You know, he was a good guy. He did some great things. But look at this. But now... But now, that's huge. But now, his credit.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: the but now is the huge. Oh, boy. Uh, kid, maybe you should tell us what but now is in the Hebrew. I mean, because if you think that's really a big point, you might want to just, you know, tell us what the Hebrew words for but now are so that, you know, that'll just make that even more huge. Oh, boy.
2: Is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now, very quickly, in this culture, in this time period, if you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it, your children could literally be taken into slavery to pay your debt. Which, by the way, if our government doesn't get control, our children are going to pay our debt. That's political. No, that's just common sense. Anyway. Y'all don't want to hear that. So, so these children,
0: uh, you know, Perry, I, I, I would stay away from the economics lesson unless you've actually studied economics. Um, the, just, just saying, you know, I, have taken uh, master's, uh, level economics courses and, uh, that, what he said isn't exactly true. Um, long story. It, we continue.
2: Children could be literally taken slaves to pay the debt. Now, let me kind of set this up. The woman, the woman comes to Elisha and says, hey, I've got a financial problem. And I think God needs to do something about my financial problem. Because my husband died. By the way, he died with no life insurance. For those of you men that have a family and have no life insurance, the capital S on stupid describes you. You need to go tomorrow and get some life insurance.
0: Yeah, but what if my spending's out of control and I can't afford life insurance? (sighs) This woman is... Okay, let me read the story in context. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. She wasn't coming there for church. Uh, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, "'What shall I do for you? Tell me what have you you in the house?' And she said, "'Your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil.'" And then he said, "'Go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. So then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside.'" So she went from him, shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured. Uh, They brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Uh, By the way, this is a fine story about redemption. Uh, there's, there is an allusion here to what Christ does for us. Christ miraculously, uh, through, through his miraculous resurrection, death and resurrection on the cross, he, uh, through his blood, um, sets us free from slavery to sin, death and the devil. And uh, he he provides for us and for our salvation. Here we have a story of these, uh, these sons that are going to be sold into slavery, and God miraculously intervenes and provides on their behalf, and they don't go into slavery. I don't see this as a story about um, financial advice. Um, yeah, it, it, just, you know, pointing it out. And by the way, notice it just said that he you know that the the guy who died he had debts and and his creditor came uh now the widow's not able to pay the debts. It doesn't say you know what kind of debts he owed It's not like he had credit cards maybe maybe it was a business loan, maybe it was a loan for property. who knows it doesn't say, but there's no indication in the text that the uh the guy who died uh was an evil man who was engaged in out of control spending. It might have been a completely reasonable debt that he had, had incurred and was quite capable of paying it off as long as he was alive.
2: <clears throat> I can't afford it. Stop playing golf. Golf or your family set up in case you go. Come on. Oh, my gosh, you're dead this morning. Anyway, so so the the husband died without any life insurance. And so...
0: The- uh, <clears throat> Perry, just one <clears> off. <throat> Dude, listen up they didn 't have life insurance back in the days of elisha um, the uh, the term the, the word i 'm looking for is historical anachronism. Are you familiar with the term historical anachronism that would see a historical anachronism is basically talking about something that historically doesn 't fit. Um, Let me give you an example of a historical anachronism. If I were to say that Jesus, during the Last Supper, said, Hey, Peter, would you go check the microwave burritos to see if they're still frozen or if uh, they're warm enough for us to eat yet? Um, The historical anachronism in that statement would be microwave and and, uh, microwave burrito, Um, neither of which existed in uh, first century Palestine. Um, in fact, I do remember when uh, microwave ovens kind of made their first appearance, uh, you know, on the on the mass market scene in the nineteen seventies. And I hate this, you know, I can actually remember the days uh, before microwave ovens. Uh, I remember our first one. It was, you know, anyway. So, uh, no, this is not about the fact that they did the 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 guy didn't have life insurance because well. Uh, MetLife and uh, all those other life insurance companies weren't around back then.
2: The the woman and the two boys, which maybe, and uh, we don't know, maybe they lived it up. Maybe they lived it up for a long time. Maybe they were buying this and selling this and, you know, going on. The text doesn't say.
0: It, you know what? It's completely feasible, as I've pointed out. Notice there's nothing said negatively about the person who died, just that he has a creditor. And... um. It's not like they had malls back then, so if you had if you had taken out a loan from somebody, it probably generally had to do with you know agriculture or some kind of a business deal. Uh, not, I'm sure they weren't going out and buying expensive jewelry and uh, spending nights at the opera and then downtown at the at, at some of the highfalutin restaurants eating caviar. N- notice a historical anachronism uh, yet again.
2: On eBay and buying stuff and running up credit card debt, we don't know what happened. Here's, here's what we know. They hit a financial wall and the woman came to God because she was like, I want God to handle my financial problem. Uh, the financial wall was caused by
0: the fact that her husband died. <sighs> I thought this sermon was about uh, uh, clearing up and refuting the lies of the devil rather than making up all kinds of new lies yourself.
2: Isn't isn't it amazing how godly this country got when we hit the recession? Because I heard people say, why would God let the recession hit our country? Isn't it funny during the times of blessing, nobody ever mentioned the name of God? Nobody said, well, God's blessing our country. But when a problem happens, it's amazing how godly we get. This woman was out of control financially. Her and her husband had spent all their money, and they had nothing, and they wanted God to do something about it.
0: The text doesn't say that they had spent all their money. Again, you're just kind of reading that into the text. It just says that he had a creditor. It doesn't say what kind of loan he had taken out from the creditor. And again, they did not have a Visa card, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover back in
2: uh, the time of Elisha. ...about their problem. Let me ask you a question. Everybody participate, all campuses. How many of you have ever made a bad financial decision? Raise your hand. Okay. Good. How many of you are sitting next to your bad financial decision? No, no, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't, don't.
0: I uh, gotta ask a question, um, Perry. Are you uh, certified as a, uh, you know, a financial advisor? Um, I thought you were a pastor, and your job is to actually preach God's word. You know, just asking the question because it sure does sound like you're trying to give financial advice. Um, but if you're not really certified as a financial advisor or planner, then you're not really qualified to be giving that. Uh, maybe you should actually stick to your job as laid out in Scripture. It, you know, it says preach the word, feed God's sheep, you know, that
2: kind of stuff. I'm just kind of curious. How many of you drove your bad financial decision to church this morning? See, some of you should have raised your hands because you went out and did cash for clunkers. And you traded in the car that you couldn't afford for another car you couldn't afford. And in six months, you're not going to be able to afford that car anyway. <laughs> Some of us live in our bad financial decision. Some of us are going to take our bad financial decision to the lake today. Some of us are going to go sit on our bad financial decision in our living room and watch our bad financial decision all day long. There are people in this room that have made bad financial decisions. And listen, the only reason I know that you've made bad financial decisions is because at one point I was the king of making bad financial decisions. Oh, this is a
0: story of redemption. You see, because a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, in in the galaxy known as Anderson, uh, there once lived a young pup by the name of Perry Noble, and he made a bunch of bad financial decisions. But now he's, he's learned to make better financial decisions, and so he's going to church, and at church he's telling people that they need to make better financial decisions. He's so cutting edge and so relevant. Uh, too bad he's not doing what God told him to do, and that's to actually preach the word. Because um, ha, 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 are there any instances of Jesus Christ spending time encouraging people to make better financial decisions? Yeah, um, uh, I thought the big thing that Jesus came for was to die for the sins of the world. Is a, is a bad financial decision a sin? Um, uh, do people go to hell and experience the wrath of God for making a bad financial decision? What if it was just a a a a, a, a poor judgment rather than you know bad financial decision? I mean, we can. You know, what if it was just. It was a decision made without all of the data. So, so it was it was just a poorly thought out financial decision, um, as opposed to a bad one. I mean, is that a mortal sin or a venial sin?
2: And because of bad financial decisions, there are some of us in this room that are out of control. Now I wrote down several things. How do you know if you're out of control financially? I just wanna I just kind of read a couple of these to you. Um, the... Are you done with the Second Kings chapter four text, Perry? You're not going to talk about
0: how God miraculously provided for this woman completely out of grace and mercy and rescued her sons from slavery? I I hope you're not going to skip that part.
2: The first way you know you're out of control financially is if you're running up credit card debt with no plan to pay it off. (laughs) You think? Come on now. I I I haven't done this in a while, but i got to do it. We got credit cards, don't we? The average American has seven credit cards. That's a gold one. Now, can we do this together? Can we do this together for all of our campuses? Because when you got the credit card, you didn't plan on that credit card balance, did you? Uh uh-uh. uh. You got the credit card and you told yourself, I'm only going to use it in case of an emergency. You did it, didn't you? Isn't it funny what qualifies as an emergency in America today? Ladies, you go to the mall and you had to buy it because it was See? You're telling on yourself this morning. Is that a sin uh, that Christ died for?
0: Um, if I have a credit card and I don't use it for just emergencies, but actually carry a balance on it, will I go to hell? When Christ returns in glory to judge both the living and the dead, will I experience the wrath of God because I have an outstanding balance on my credit
2: card? Hmm. It was on sale! Some of you have saved more money by spending money than anybody on the planet. Some of you are single dudes. You got a date? That's an emergency. That might not happen again for a while. <laughs> you start running up things on the credit card, and it's a ama- we need. Hey, we need a couch. It's an emergency. I know a college student that bought a car on a credit card. Christmas comes around. Emergency! Kids go back to school. Come on. They, they finish school and they put on the pants that they had on and they're like up to here. And they're like, Daddy, we got to go shopping. That's an emergency because you can't send your kid to school like this. They'd get beat up. So we have emergency after emergency after emergency, and we rack up all this credit card debt. And let me, if if some of you are here today and you're going, you're fussing at me. Listen, listen, I'm not fussing at you. I know what it's like to finance a lifestyle. When Lucretia and I got married in the year 2000, with our credit card debt and my my financing, because I would go finance stuff, 90 days, same as cash, you can finance a flipping dog today. I mean, like, seriously. And if you have financed your dog, that's bad. Seriously, he is stressed out right now. Is it a sin to finance your dog? 90 days, same as cash. (sighs) Uh. I like your dog. Two more payments, and he's mine. I mean, that is... So Lucretia and I, I had, mainly me, I mean, education loans and um, credit card debt, we got married and had $120,000 worth of debt and didn't even own a home. So I know what it's like. But there are some people in this room, you're racking up credit card debt, and you don't even have a plan to pay it off. You're out of control. Some of you, uh, another way to t- tell, um, I, I wrote these down. Is this breaking the 11th or 12th commandment? It's just, you know, because I, I, yeah, I, I knew I'd forget. Um, oh, if you're making minimum payments on everything and you think that is wise financial advice, you're out of control. Some of you are. I'm... Uh, did...
0: <sighs> Which of the apostles uh, did you learn this from?
2: I'm making minimum payments. Well, you'll, you'll, your grandchildren will make those for you because you never pay that stuff off making minimum payments. It's a trap. If you're transferring credit card balances from one credit card to another, you're out of control. If you're spending more money than you make, you're out of control. If you don't know if you're spending more money than you make, you're out of control. If you're making financial decisions that you hope your spouse doesn't discover... You're out of control. If you owe more money on your car than it's worth, you're out of control. Well, it might just mean that you bought a
0: Ford. (laughs) Uh, Since I'm a Toyota
2: owner, I don't seem to have that problem. Um, (sighs) If you and your spouse make a combined income of over $50,000 a year and you feel significant financial pressure, you're out of control. You say, Perry, I don't believe. Listen, if you make $50,000 a year or more, that puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Woo-hoo.
0: Um, I got to point something out here. Um, let, me, uh, let me provide you with a, uh, a different biblical test. Um, if you have any other gods before the one true God, you're guilty of breaking the first commandment. That means you are an out-of-control sinner. Um, if you take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, um, then you are a sinner. Um, if you, uh do not remember to keep the Sabbath day holy and, uh, you despise God's word and the preaching of it and, uh, and are not gladly hearing and learning God's word, then, uh, well, you have transgressed, uh, one of God's commands and you are a sinner. Uh, if you have not and do not honor your father and mother but instead are uh, uh, basically rebellious and disrespectful and dishonoring towards your parents again you've broken one of the 10 commandments and you are a sinner um if you've uh, if you've murdered somebody and don't think for a second that just is limited to actually pulling the trigger and blowing someone's blowing somebody away Um, If you say to your brother, Raka, or you're basically angry at your brother in a a very unforgiving way and uh, wish him dead, then you've already committed murder in your heart. Uh, You are a sinner. Um, If you uh, have committed adultery and or looked lustfully at somebody who is not your spouse, um, you've committed the uh, sin of adultery and uh, you are a sinner. Um, if you've stolen anything, uh, it doesn't matter if it's stationary from work, paper clips, um, you've ex- exercised the five-finger discount over at the local Seven Eleven on a bag of uh, Cheetos, um, you are a thief. You, are a, you have stolen and broken God's commandments, and uh, you are a sinner. And um, let me see, um, if you have ever lied or borne false witness against your neighbor, Um, then you are a sinner. You've transgressed God's holy and righteous law. If you've ever coveted um, your neighbor's house, his uh, wife, his manservant, his his ox, um, anything that belongs to your neighbor, um, then you've also transgressed God's holy law, and you are a sinner. And now we've got a big problem, um, because if you've done any of these things, you deserve the fires of hell. Um, do you think me telling you to try harder to, uh, honor God, to honor your parents, to, uh, take some sound advice about, um, not taking God's name in vain or killing people or committing adultery or stealing is going to somehow going to undo the sins that you've committed and, uh, basically make God go, Oh, he's okay. Or she's Okay. That's all right. They just mean well, and they're trying hard. I'll, I'll, I won't get angry at them, and I won't send them to hell. No. Why is it that he's preaching about this? Uh, why is Perry preaching about the so-called lie of the devil, um, and basically talking about if, if these are the signs that you're an out-of-control spender? Like that's any big issue with the scripture. Um, the bigger issue is is that uh, you, the, you might worship money. Uh, you might be worshipping yourself and your status uh, which basically means that you're an idolater and guilty of breaking the first commandment um if you have no intention of praying, paying off your credit cards you actually are uh you're probably guilty of uh of, of stealing well you basically being a thief that's a form of uh, you know of of robbery if you would it's not done at gunpoint it's just kind of done by Uh, taking advantage of loopholes and things like that. Don't you think that's the bigger issue you should be getting to, Perry? Because um, out-of-control spenders, yeah, who cares? I mean, uh, the reality is is that if somebody takes any of the advice you you give during the sermon and and decides that they're going to stop being out-of-control spenders, but they haven't repented of their sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their transgressions, um, they may no longer be an out-of-control spender, but they're still a sinner going to hell. He's just saying.
2: You're out of control. If missing one paycheck would cripple you financially, you're out of control. And see, at this point, I haven't mentioned giving dime. I haven't mentioned giving to the church. I haven't. All I'm done is put it on you, and I'm asking you this question. Are you out of control financially? Here's why this is so, so important, because God has called us to do great things, but some of us are so in debt that if God told us to do what we're called to do, we couldn't do it because we're mortgaged to the hilt.
0: Oh, man, you did not say that. So, (laughs) listen, those of you who are out-of-control spenders, God probably has this huge thing he wants you to do, but you can't afford to do it. (sighs) See, oh, man. Uh, Nothing about sin there, uh, it just you see, you you probably don't even realize it. I mean, you could probably be the next president of the United States, but you don't have the money now that you're gonna need to campaign on. Oh, unbelievable. Delusions of grandeur that have nothing to do with what the Bible actually says or teaches.
2: Oh, by the way, you didn't pay cash for something? If you went out and paid cash for it, but you got a second mortgage to get the cash.
0: Thank you for that uh, clarification. I was a little confused on that because um, Leviticus chapter 78 is, was unclear um, about that.
2: Out of control. Question number two, am I satisfied or selfish? Now, nobody would ever say that they're selfish. Greed is, greed is easy to spot in other people. It's hard to spot in ourselves. We say things like, I'm careful. I'm cautious. But we, let's, let's just admit it as Americans. Can we just admit this? We're some selfish people. Are we not? I was in, um... Co- uh, can we talk about how that's a sin and how that earns God's
0: wrath? And just, you know, asking the question ahead of time. Maybe I'm hoping for too much.
2: Costa Rica, back in 2003, it's the first big look, uh, vacation Lucretia and I ever took. And so we're down in Costa Rica, and we went horseback riding on the beach. It was a lot of fun. I had a good horse. Lucrezia's horse was pretty much ready for the glue factory, um, but and I think this was like his last time out. I'm not sure. And so, so I'm riding, my, and my horse was a good horse. And Lucretia's horse was kind of slow. And, and so the the guy, the guide, was like, you know, make your horse run. And so I kicked it, and I'm running. Uh, and or I wasn't running; the horse was running. Um, I was big enough to carry the horse. But anyway, I'm running, and I kind of had to, like, I wanted this thing where my horse was kind of galloping, and Lucretia's horse was kind of galloping. And all of a sudden, you heard "Endless Love" kind of playing in the background. Some of you know what that is. And it is in slow motion, and we we're looking at each other, going, <laughs> "See." But it wasn't happening because her horse wouldn't move. And I look back, and Lucretia is kicking the crap out of this horse. She's like, come on. And so the horse won't move. And so my horse is going. Finally, all of a sudden, we began to turn for home, and we had, and the horse discovered that it was going home. And Lucretia kicked it one time. And I, I'm, I'm literally walking. All I heard was, and she passed me like a bat out of Hades. The horse was out of control. Her leg came out of the stirrup. She put it on the saddle and she's pulling back like this. It was awesome. My wife was hot. She was pulling back like this. Because the horse had lost control. And listen, honestly, she could have she she had a serious injury because this horse had gotten completely out of control. When things get out of control, injuries can happen. And for many of us in this room, we have gotten completely out of control financially. Completely out of control. And you might not be able to see the destruction now, but in the next three to five, even ten years, it's going to all break Loose if we don't get a handle on our desire to acquire. Let me, let me, let me keep reading, because this woman, remember she came to Elisha and she said, I think God needs to do something about my problem.
0: Oh, finally, we get back to the Bible, and uh, <laughs> good, we'll hear the rest of the story, how God miraculously provided, completely by grace, by the way, which is exactly how he provides for us regarding the forgiveness of our
2: sins. <sighs> Elisha replied to her. Now, this is this is cool. How can I help you? In other words, woman, we are not going to take a love offering. Isn't that funny? I mean, I've been in church a while. So- uh,
0: that's not what the text says. It doesn't say anything about uh, Elisha giving lip to the woman, basically saying we ain't going to take no love offering for you. It was a simple question: How can I help you? <sighs> Just, you know, how, how is it that somebody can have their Bible open? And there it is. What shall I do for me? Tell me what you have in the house. That's what Elisha said. And he asked, you know, he's trying to help out here. And that translates into, uh, we ain't taking a love offering for you, woman. Uh, i I think we've got some out of control bible interpretation going on here this is some bad this is some bad decision making on the bible interpretive levels. This is some out of control bible teaching uh, people can get hurt with this kind of stuff
2: suffering let 's take a blow of offer well they're going blow that on lottery tickets. Come on now some of you that's your oh, you 're out of control if you think you're going to win the lottery and it 's going i 'm going to win the lottery no you're not. Can I just say this? It bothers me when I go to the gas station to buy gas and I have to stand behind people scratching off their lottery tickets. Can I just say, you're preaching against the lottery. No, get out of the flipping line. Don't mess with me. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Like you want me to help you? Then this is so key. This is so key because this is something that we don't teach a lot in church. Tell me, if you've got a pen, underline this what do you have in your house in other words he said hey hey lady if you want help if you want to get out of the financial pit that you're in the answer to your problem is in your house the answer
0: unbelievable i'm i'm telling you i just um wow and this man by the way is a rock star. I mean, there are people, there are pastors and church planners who want to be just like Perry Noble. Unbelievable. Uh, let me see if I have this right. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. So the answer is that means that the answer is in your house. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. And I can prove it from the text. Ready? We're just going to keep reading. Here we go. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. So then he said, go outside and borrow vessels from all your neighbors. So apparently the answer was in her house as well as all of her neighbors' houses too. (sighs) Unbelievable. I just am. Yeah, this, I'm telling you, this is, uh, you should not be giving these guys Bibles. They can hurt themselves and other people. Uh, when they swing that thing around, because they don't know how to read it and interpret it correctly.
2: To your problem is not giving, not God giving you more, but you actually beginning to manage what God has already given you in the first place. Ta- that is a complete lie.
0: <laughs> oh man, <sighs> let me uh, back up the tape. I want you to hear this again because this—I mean, unless you're from planet. South Carolina, um, there's no possibility that you would ever come to this conclusion. Uh, uh, This is Perry Noble. uh, This is the world of Perry Noble, the the fictitious biblical world that he's created there. It it doesn't exist in real life. Backing up the tape, here we go. Listen again.
2: Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Like, you want me to help you? And this is so key. This is so key because this is something that we don't teach a lot in church. Tell me, if you've got a pen underline this, what do you have in your house? In other words, he said, Hey, hey, lady, if you want help, if you want to get out of the financial pit that you're in, the answer to your problem is in your house. The answer to your problem is not giving, not God giving you more but you actually beginning to manage what God has already given you in the first place.
0: No, that is not what the text says. Gotta do it again. No, no, no. (sighs) Unbelievable. (sighs) It's not God giving you more. It's you managing what you... No, it isn't that at all. God miraculously provided for her. He performed a miracle. On her behalf and for her sons. Unbelievable. I, oh, this, you know, man, I'm telling you. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure if there's a blue collar Bible tour, then uh, Perry Noble will be the headliner. The problem is, is that he ain't preaching the Bible.
2: I don't know about you, but I have... Tell me what you've got in your house. Because many times as followers of Christ, we fall into the lie. If God would just give me more, I could get out of financial problems. And God's going, why? Yeah, then why did God actually
0: perform a miracle that gave her so much oil she could sell the whole thing and pay off the debts? It's right there in Second Kings chapter 4. Oh, man, the text itself is basically screaming in your face that you are a liar. I thought this was a sermon about exposing the
2: lies of the devil
0: instead of promoting
2: them. How would I give you more when you've proven to be untrustworthy with what I've blessed you with in the first place? If you want to get out of the financial pit that you're in, tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have right now? How much money do you make right now? What do you own right now? God says, let's focus on that before we even talk about giving you more. What complete and utter lie. Read the text, Perry. God performs a miracle and saves this woman and her children. What do you have in your house? And the woman replies, like many of us in America would reply to this question. Your servant has nothing there at all. Now, at this point, at this point, because there's a little pause in the conversation, I believe Elijah did this. She went, "Your servant has nothing at all." And Elijah went, Pshh.
0: "It's not in the text, Perry. So uh, your opinion here is Pshh. whatever that means."
2: Oh, you are full of it.
0: I be- <laughs> uh, no, Perry. Actually, you are. You, the way you're telling the story, I mean. Literally, literally, I don't think my hip waiters would, would save me from, from basically getting the muck on myself that you're dishing out right now.
2: I believe Elijah did that because the, she comes back and says this. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. I mean, I got a little oil. But it's not. See, here's, here's the problem. I don't want to talk about what I have. I want to talk about what God can give me. I don't want to use what I have to get out of my mess. I want to use what God can give me. If somebody would just come pay off my debt, it would make it. You are aware,
0: Perry, that in the story, in just a verse later, that God gives this woman miraculous oil.
2: Gives. Purely out of grace and mercy. Gives. Make everything better. Because, see, what I have, I worked for that. I earned it. It's mine. I've got plans for what I have, but, but so I don't want to talk. I, I, I don't really have anything compared to other people. I'm broke. And Elisha goes, uh-uh, we got to talk about what you've got in your house. The reason we don't like to talk about what we have is because we don't think we have anything. It's because we love to compare ourselves to other people. Only in America will we go to the refrigerator. Where are you finding this in this text,
0: Perry? I'm serious. It's just not in there. Do you think that God uh, doesn't know or will just turn a blind eye to the fact that you're completely mangling his word from the so-called pulpit at your church?
2: Greater open it and go, I don't have anything to eat. Some of you, come on now, you got, out and you got in your closet this morning, you go, I don't have a thing to wear. And if all your clothes fell on you, it would take eight days to find you amongst the carnage. Some of you, if you fell into your shoes, you would never be found again. I'm just saying. In America, we spend $12 billion a year on storage units. $40 billion on pets. How many billion do we
0: waste on lousy preachers who don't correctly teach God's word?
2: billion on pets. Now, pet lovers always get, he's going to talk about, I'm not, I'm not. Listen, if you got the money to spend on Fido, as long as you didn't finance him, that's fine. I'm just saying, let's stop admitting that we don't. The other day I was walking around in Best Buy. Have y'all seen those new TVs, the led thing that like the really cool ones, they come out with a brand new cool TV every year. And I was walking around in Best Buy and I saw one of those TVs. Have you ever have you ever been satisfied with what you've got until you've seen what somebody else has? Like you like your car until your friend gets a new one, and you get in and it smells new, and you get in your car and it smells like kid. You know what I'm saying? This is the
0: sin of coveting that you're describing, by the way. And this is uh, uh, this is breaking the Ten Commandments. Just want to point it out. Um, <clears throat> he wouldn't know the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm telling you, if I were to get him on the radio and have somebody steal his Bible so he couldn't cheat, I don't think he could name him.
2: Like I, 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 you, you love your furniture until you go to their house and you see their furniture. It's, it's that whole satisfied or selfish thing. So I'm walking around at Best Buy. I saw that TV and I was like, I think I need that TV. You ever done this? Come on now. I think... And and then I put the God card on it. God wants me to watch religious television and make fun of it. And I could see those heretics so much clearer. (laughs) If I had that TV. Football season's coming. God wants me to have a good Saturday. So the games I can't go to... I need a, I was like, and I was like, I don't even have a good TV. God spoke to me and said, you've got five. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Then I started counting. One, two, I've got, I got five, I got five TVs. And I'm in here complaining about the 10. Now some of y'all, how'd you get five TVs? I don't know. You just get them and you don't ever throw them away. I still got the first TV that I ever bought. I walked into Electric Avenue and more. I bought a TV, a VCR, a surround sofa, two co- a coffee table, two end tables, and a lamp for $899 and financed it at 22% interest. I am never throwing that TV away. Karis <laughs> will watch that TV, all right? I just accumulated, and it was like, I was like, I was so focused on what I didn't have that I lost sight of what I do have. Let me ask you this question. Have you lost sight of what you do have in your house? Because God, most of us in this room, God has blessed us with a good home. I ain't got nothing. Did you sleep indoors last night? Did you have indoor plumbing this morning? Did you get to eat breakfast before you come to church? Do you get to go to a job in the morning? All of that is because of the gracious hand of an almighty God. Stop slapping him in the face, telling him what you don't have.
0: I just want to make something clear. This does not qualify as um, a gospel nugget. Um, God causes the sun to shine on the wicked and the righteous alike. And uh, that was kind of a backhanded thing. Anyway, another, he's described idolatry and coveting, and uh, somehow it's behooved him to actually call it what that is. Oh, man. And he's completely, completely, I mean, we're off in la-la land um, on his interpretation of Second uh, Kings chapter 4. It's just embarrassingly bad.
2: If I just had more, I'd give more. That is the dumbest thing you could say. Stop it. Jesus addressed that. Luke 16, verse
0: 10. All right, first mention of Jesus, 25 minutes and 33 seconds into the uh,
2: sermon. Okay. He said this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling... Law, by the way, this is um, all law, no gospel here. Uh... Worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Can Jesus trust you with what you've got?
0: No, that's why he had to die on the cross for my sins. He can't trust me or leave me to myself. Otherwise, I'd end up in hell, just like every other person on the planet
2: in your house third question am i willing to surrender everything uh perry um why don't i
0: ask you that are you willing to surrender everything indoor plumbing your wife your children your church everything i mean if you're going to be asking us this question by the way that one goes both ways just asking
2: Am I willing to surrender everything?
0: Um, I told this. By the way, everything is an all or nothing proposition. It's not It's not some things or part- portion of something. Everything is, well, you
2: know, everything. Story at youth camp. So if you're in the youth group, kind of bear with me and laugh because it's funny. Are we done now with uh, your completely
0: false interpretation of uh, 2 Kings chapter 4? Because, I mean, if you had just read the rest of the passage, it would have showed you to be a complete liar about what that text was saying. Are we just going to abandon the text now? Are you going to actually finish the story and show us how you were full of it and how God actually just provided miraculously for this woman? And not with just the stuff in her house, but a whole bunch of vessels from all of her neighbors, too.
2: Because um, the adults, I don't know. Anyway, um, I used to be in youth ministry. And um, if you're in youth ministry... There's a shock. I would have never figured that out. In a traditional church, you're... Um- your youth ministry and and your drama coach because there's always a couple in the youth group and they always break up on the retreat. There's always one couple and they always break up and there's always drama and there's always tears and there's always snot and flailing about and that's the dude. And so... So we did a retreat one time, and we're in the upstate of South Carolina. I took a youth group up there. We had about twenty-five kids, and, and it was the end of the night. And if you ever if you grew up in church, you know what it's like at the end of the night. You're around the campfire, and everybody has a stick, and they confess all their sin, and you're like, whoa, didn't know that, didn't want to know that. I mean, it kind of got crazy. And so so afterwards, this couple they're about to break up, and there's this. Uh, okay, so
0: you're at the campfire, and there's kids confessing all of their sins. Did you tell them about Christ's death on the cross for their sins? Or did you just sit there and go, whoa, I didn't want to know that? Uh, no, for, uh, Again, uh, here we've got a story that can actually be used to talk about the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross.
2: Ugh. Dude, and there's this guy, and they're kind of talking back and forth, and I'm there. And um, Lucretia, we weren't dating at the time. Um, she was madly in love with me, but I was still praying about it. Anyway, it's a joke. So she was there, and we're kind of sitting there, and we're kind of trying to coach this couple through. And the girl was hardcore. She was like, I don't I, And He was like, he started crying. He's weeping. Big guy, he's crying. He's weeping. He's like, I love you. I love you. And I'm crying a little bit. You know, I'm tearing up. And she, this girl was hardcore. She was like, I don't love you. I don't love anything about you. And I'm like, dang, girl somebody get an ice pick or something. I mean, this, this girl's cold. And he was like, is it over? I was like, it's over. <laughs> She's like, it's over. She said, he said, is it really over? He said, yes. And or she said, yes. And he went, then go to hell. <laughs> and I went, um, okay. I'm not Dr. Laura. But let me help you in relationships. You can't say, I love you, go to hell. Some of you need to write that down. You can't, you can't, you can't say, because I mean, that will never cause a girl to go, ah. Oh. I mean, it, didn't, it didn't. I was like, dude, you can't tell her to go. And so, so, so he was like, yes, I can. I was like, no, you can't. Those two things don't go together. I love you, go to hell, does not go together.
0: Well, thank you for that folksy bit of advice, there, Perry. I could have never figured that out without you. You know, you missed your calling.
2: You should have been a stand-up comedian. Guess what else does it go together? I love you, Jesus. Keep your hands off my money. You can't. You can't say that. I love you, Jesus. Except with my money. If you want to be a fully committed follower of Christ?
0: Oh. <clears throat> Strata, <clears throat> pietist by the way. Here in case you're wondering what pietist means. Uh, basically, this is somebody who is a, a, a who thinks he's a Christian elite. He's part of the Christian uh inner sanctum, the inner core because of he practices things and does things that other people don't do. And if they would do them, then they might be able to get probational status within the elite group of pietists. Oh, boy, this is just unbelievable. This is all law. This isn't even a good use of the law. This is bad use of the law. Uh, sins are being convicted. And what's the solution? You need to try harder and get your attitude straight because you can't be saying, I love Jesus and keep your hands off my money, Jesus. Um, which person who, uh, completely understands gets the fact that they are a wretched sinner who's earned hell and the complete eternal wrath of God in all of its full scary glory and, uh, and has thrown themselves at the mercy of Christ and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Cover me in your blood. I am a sinner. And received from Christ and God the forgiveness of sins, faith, uh, you know, uh, regeneration. Which of those people who have been truly regenerated through the preaching of the good news of the gospel would say to Jesus, "Keep your hands off my money"? I, I, I don't, I don't know such Christians. I mean, but your solution here, Perry, is pretty much if you want to be a fully committed Christ follower, not just a, a half-baked, chintzy one who, think, who isn't really part of the inner sanctum of the people who are really following Christ,
2: then you need to, you know, oh boy. He gets Everything. 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 Uh, because
0: of the gospel or because of the law? I haven't heard the gospel yet. Nothing whatsoever about the forgiveness of sins. Remember, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Just, you know, just saying, um, and he said, oh, you know, another passage that says that we love him because he first loved us. Not hearing any of Jesus's love here, um,
2: at all. Jesus said too much about money for selfish Christians. You're going to have to keep your hands off of that. I just want to reach you what Jesus said. This is straight Jesus right here, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
0: Great point. And uh, how is it that we... uh Stop serving money and fear, love, and trust and serve the one true God by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and saying, oh, okay, I'll let money take its rightful place in my life and I'll allow God to take that number one spot because, yeah, you know, that's kind of the right thing to do. No, it comes through repentance and the forgiveness of sins.
2: Jesus said, it's impossible. So let's keep reading the Kings because this lady comes to Elisha and. Oh, good, good, good. I
0: I just, I can't wait to hear what you're going to do with the fact that this woman miraculously, uh, got from God the miracle that she needed, like, kind of like winning the lottery, um, that, that she needed to, uh, to keep, uh, to basically keep her sons out of slavery.
2: Like, I don't have anything. It's like, what do you have in your house? No, oh, nothing. Okay, I got this little oil, but kind of had plants for it. We're going to kind of go out and, you know, I've got to do my Friday night thing or whatever. This is what Elisha says to her. Second Kings chapter four, verse three. Elisha said, this is so cool. And it doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, because it's all grace. It's complete miraculous mercy and grace and provision by God. Much the same way that Christ's death on the cross is all grace and miraculous provision by God. It doesn't make
2: any sense. Well, yeah, because you don't understand the gospel, sir. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few.
0: That kind of blows the uh, what's in your house thing that you were talking about, don't you think? Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Po- I want to point something out there. There was no pause between what's in your house. We have jars. Okay, go to your neighbors and get more jars. That was all part of the conversation that took place in a... snap a second within a few seconds and
2: uh. pour oil into all the jars stop whose oil was she supposed to pour her oil he didn't say i'm gonna give you oil the church is gonna give you oil maybe your
0: workplace what a ridiculously dumb interpretation who cares who the oil is if she didn't have any he might have actually said go and
2: borrow some of that too will give you more oil. He said, Hey, you go around to your neighbor's house, ask for empty jars. Don't ask them for oil. I'm telling you to ask them for empty jars. When you get the empty jars, you bring them back to your house and you pour your oil, my oil. Yes, your oil. That's all I got. I know your oil into the, into the, all the jars. And as each one is filled, put it to the side. Now, this woman, at first, she's like, I've never heard anything like this. You mean to tell me that my little bit of oil is going to fill up every jar that I bring into this house? All I've got to do is be willing to have faith enough to go to my neighbor's house, ask them for...
0: Turning faith into a work here, just want to point that out. Unbelievable
2: empty jars bring them back and as I start pouring my oil what God has blessed me with what I already have in my house that somehow God is going to get supernaturally involved and make it stretch further than it's ever stretched before is that what you're telling me man of God and Elijah said that's what I'm telling you if you will trust God with what you have he will take it further than you could ever take it on your own.
0: Oh, boy, I'm just, I'm going to have to take a shower after this sermon review because I feel dirty playing it. I'm at, yeah, because the biblical interpretation here is so off. It's not even fun. It's, it's just insane. I mean, it's like we're not even reading the same passage. Nothing here about having faith enough in what God has already given you and God'll stretch it. It's just saying, let me read it again. Elijah said to her, "What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house?" And she said, "Well, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil." Kind of okay. He said, "Well, then go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty the vessels and not too few." And uh, go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons pour into these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her son. And she poured. uh, They brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Notice the miracle. She came and told the man of God, and he said, "Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons
2: can live on the rest. Money left over, even listen, some of you are like i can't afford i I can't afford to trust God with my money. I would tell you that you can't afford not to
0: uh, I would tell you I got a point in that this passage is not saying that if you trust God with your money, that he's going to miraculously multiply it in such a way." Uh, that you'll be able to pay all of your debts, and
2: uh, it's not what it's saying at all. That you can't afford not to. Some people are like, well, I'm in debt. This woman was in debt. They were coming to take her kids. And the man of God said, you've got to trust me with what you've got. Because the man of God...
0: No, he didn't. He just said, go and get lots of vessels
2: and then shut the door and start pouring oil. That's all he said. God said, if you will trust God with what you've got, he will get supernaturally involved and blow your mind with what he does with it.
0: That is not what this text says. It just is not what this text says. What do you do, Perry, with the, the fact that there are Christians, even to this day, that are in slavery? They're slaves. Where's the miraculous trusting God to knock your socks off and get them out of slavery? You familiar with the fact that uh, Christians have lived in slavery for uh, millennia? What about um, Onesimus? Read this. Read uh, the uh, the epistle to Philemon. Paul returned him to slavery. Nothing there about. Well, what have you got? Well, I'm a slave. I own nothing. Well, do you have something we can? Uh, No miraculous thing at all there, just uh, a word of encouragement to uh, Philemon to treat his slave as a brother in Christ. (sighs) Man, this is just, I mean, uh, unbelievable. (laughs) Maybe he's reading in between the lines in this story.
2: Will you give him everything? Now, how do we do it? This is where the fertilizer hits the fan right here. I'm going to give you three ways.
0: Okay, three easy ways. All right, can't wait to hear this. Uh, Three easy ways for the fertilizer to hit the fan. Go ahead. By the way, this is how to give God everything so that he'll miraculously uh, multiply it and blow your socks off or something.
2: First way is tithing.
0: (sighs) Tithing, okay. Yeah, all right, that's um,
2: law. Now, I love talking about tithing because it makes seasoned Christians mad. I don't believe in tithing. Tithing's in the Old Testament, and I'm a New Testament giver. <clears throat> Let me tell you why that excites me. <clears throat> because there is never a gift given in the New Testament that was less than the tithe. It was always more. Never a gift so, if you're giving New Testament, you're giving more than the tithe, unless you're a selfish, manipulative, greedy Christian that's trying to rape the Scriptures for your own benefit.
0: Oh, I see. So, if uh, you actually uh, correctly exegete the New Testament and notice that uh, the New Testament talks about giving from a cheerful heart, not from compulsion... Um, then uh, that somehow you're uh, a chintzy whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I thought he said that the 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 lie of the devil he was going to um, you know blow away was the uh, new spring wants your money. <sighs> yeah. No emotional manipulation there or uh, arm twisting and compulsion at all whatsoever.
2: You're giving more. Some of you are like, well, what is the tithe? Because some of you, you're not from a church background. You're like, I don't even know. What is that tithe? I had a guy come to me one time going, what is tithing? I was like, I don't have a clue. (laughs) Tithing is 10% off the gross. I've had people, do we give off the net or gross? You want to be blessed off the net or the gross? So I'm going to be blessed if,
0: oh, boy. Forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way and be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgiving to God by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift.
2: Nothing there about tithing off the gross. Hmm. 10%. That means if you make $200, you give $20. That means if you make $500, you give $50. That means if you make $1,000, you give $400. I was just seeing if y'all paying attention because some of y'all are like, uh, 10%, the metric system, all right? Listen to me, 10%. So do you tithe? I've had some people go, well, I I tithe, but I don't give to the church. See, here's the problem with that. You never see a gift in the Old or New Testament that didn't come to the house of God, except for a couple
0: occasions. Uh, Which basically uh, makes me want to ask this question. Uh, Perry, since you've so mangled God's word in this uh, supposed sermon, um, why are we to believe that your church is the house of God? Now, I know this seems awfully you know, whoa of me, you know? yeah, I, I get it, but see, the thing is is that uh, you're not feeding God's sheep, uh, you're entertaining them. You're not correctly handling God's word, and there's no gospel at all. Because notice in Second Corinthians chapter nine that the, uh, the giving flows from the gospel, God generously giving to us, we generously giving to others, not out of compulsion, but whatever, you know, what, you know, but whatever we want from our heart flowing from the gospel that generosity flowing from the gospel um you're basically uh, not giving me any gospel at all i don't know about any generous god i basically this is a god who who sounds like just an angry redneck uh, who's making these demands on me and uh you know and i better please him otherwise he's going to browbeat me and uh, and insult me um that i mean that's the god that, that sounds like you believe in
2: which I'll hit in just a second. It's amazing to me how people will take verses out of the book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, all the way through the end of the book, and they'll say, Well, because of this verse, I don't have to give to the church. When the entire New Testament was written to the church, about the church, for the church, Jesus said, I will build my church. The tithe comes to the local church. And some of you are like, Well, see that. Okay, hang
0: on a second here. Let's uh, take a look biblically at what a New Testament church looks like. Acts chapter 2 is uh, the place we're going to go to. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if I'm doing if I got this from memory. Yeah, here's what the early church uh, looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, You don't do that, Perry. And uh, the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what the church did. Um, New Spring has dedicated themselves to being relevant, um, edgy, and in people's face. Nothing about the apostles' teaching. Uh, You're dedicated to twisting God's word. Um, uh, self-feeding and I don't know about breaking of bread and
2: prayers. Do you guys even do that there? New Springs after my money. Let me stop right here. You've got to give to a church where you believe in the vision and you believe in the integrity. And if you don't believe in the vision or the integrity here, don't give.
0: Where does the Bible talk about the vision for the church? Jesus Christ is the only one who is capable of casting vision for his church. Uh, notice it's his church, not your church. Uh, that would be Jesus' church, not your church. And Jesus himself did cast some vision. We have a mission and vision statement from Jesus Christ, uh, respectively, in Matthew chapter 28 and Luke chapter 24. In Matthew 28, we read, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That would be all. That 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 would actually require you to do expository Bible teaching. Um, you know, actually opening up the text and correctly exegeting it and correctly teaching what God's word says in large, copious, generous, uh, quantities. And, uh, and then the other part of it would be, uh, Luke chapter 24, the verse that I seem to harp on, on a day to day basis here. Uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer verse 46, by the way, uh, that, and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Uh, beginning from Jerusalem. So far, uh, Perry, I'm not hearing, uh, there's no dedication to the apostles' teaching, no uh, doing what Christ said to teach them all things. Um, You're twisting God's word. Um, No repentance, no forgiveness of sins, um, and yet you're demanding people give the tithe in a legalistic fashion if if they want to consider themselves to be true, fully committed Christ followers. And which means you 're actually confusing law and gospel, yet the scriptures that I just read in second Corinthians chapter nine make it clear that our generosity flows from the gospel, the good news of christ 's generosity, his ridiculously generous forgiving of sins for us because he 's the one who gave up everything for us. No mention of that. So again you're uh, and now you're talking about vision but your your vision doesn't seem to jive with Christ's vision for the church at all. So what exactly makes New Spring a church again? It's a place where I can have uh some blue collar guy from South Carolina basically browbeat me and insult me and uh, give me uh you know kind of folksy advice about um you know, life. Uh, no, thanks. I, I can get that from the blue-collar comedy guys, and for a lot cheaper than 10% off the gross. But let me tell
2: you something. Let me tell you the reason I tithe, and I'm a tither. Let me tell you the reason I tithe. I believe in the vision of this church.
0: I mean, I believe... <laughs> really? Um, uh, it, yeah, apparently you're the, the one who received the vision for the church.
2: <sighs> believe in it. But what we're seeing God do right now, don't you ever think that that's normal. I believe in what's going on. A few weeks ago, or several weeks ago, I was standing in the balcony here at the Anderson campus. We were watching baptisms, and I was holding my little girl, Karis. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what they're doing? And she looked at me, and I said, they're baptizing. She was like, baptizing. I was like, that's right. And right there on the spot, I prayed.
0: Uh, By the way, from the uh, New Spring website, here's uh, the vision for the church. New Spring Church exists to make Jesus famous, one life at a time. Everything about our services, outreach, discipleship, process, teaching, and evangelism is driven by that mission statement. Uh, This kind of simple focus on glorifying God and reaching out to the unchurched and uh, unchurched enables us to grow without being bogged down in programming. New Spring Church has a vision to continue growing, impacting lives, and using technology and the arts to strategically communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. I've probably stolen right off of a, corp, uh, a Fortune 500 corporate website. and just They exist to make Jesus famous? Shouldn't New Spring Church exist to uh, fulfill the Great Commission, the vision that Christ had for the church to go and make disciples of all nations, Yeah, just, you know, saying, yeah, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, isn't it like, does Jesus get a vote on your uh,
2: mission and vision statement? ...and begged God once again, like I do, God, I want to baptize my daughter. And you know why I believe that's going to happen one day? Because she's involved in the children's ministry of this church. Right now, she's in a class in this church. Last week, she got out of children's, like last week, she's two. She got out of class. She came in. I said, what'd you learn today? She said, I learned about Hannah not T.L. Hannah, <laughs> Hannah in the Bible, First Samuel chapter 1. And I'm like, I want to invest in that. I've had people go, I could never commit 10% every week. Isn't it funny how you've committed five to seven years on your car? You committed 30 years on your mortgage. Obviously, you think of yourself way more than you think of God. Some people have said, Well, I make too much money to give 10%. Like I always say, I'll pray for God to reduce your income. <laughs> so you can trust Him. You can't follow Jesus and not follow Him with your money. It's, some people go, Well, I, I tithe in other ways. You don't get to tithe in other ways. Scripture is clear from Genesis. Some of you are tithing is law. Actually, tithing showed up in the book of Genesis before the law. Please know your Bible if you're going to bring that argument. The second way to give is offerings.
0: <clears throat> Perry, the thing is, is that you're preaching this unlawfully. You can't be a Christian and not fill in the blank. You can't be a Christian and not get circumcised. That's legalism. You're preaching it legalistically, not from the gospel.
2: Read your Bible. Offerings are over and above the tithe. And from time to time, if you're a follower of Jesus, God will press into you to give an offering. If you're sitting on Anderson campus right now, you're sitting here because people gave offerings in the very first capital campaign we ever had to build this building. If you're on Greenville campus right now, the reason you were able to go over there and do what you do, because people in, in Anderson, and some, for some part, some of you in Greenville gave offerings over and above the tithe. If you're in Florence watching right now, the reason you're in Florence, because people in Anderson and Greenville gave offerings. If you're watching right now on the web and you're about to participate in the Columbia campus, the reason that you're there is because people in Anderson, Greenville, and Florence give tithes and offerings to fund the vision. Offerings are when we give over and above the tithe and we just give them because we're grateful because of how much God has given to us. The third way is generosity. You see this in the New Testament. Generosity is when you see a need, and meet a need, see a need, meet a need, see a need, meet a need. Generosity is not when you see a need, call the church and tell them to go meet the need generosity is when you see a need, meet a need. You find out somebody lost their job. You, you go get them some groceries. You ring their doorbell, run like crazy. Everybody loves to do it anyway. You, and you you hide. You put some cash in an envelope. You put it in their mailbox or you slide it under their door. When you see a need, you meet a need. And I'm so grateful that we have a church that does this. We've had people in this church make people's house payments. We've had people in this church buy people cars. We've seen extreme generosity shown in this church. And listen, if you want to be more like Jesus, you don't become greedy. you become Become generous, nobody
0: okay. Good point. Um, why don't you show us how Jesus was generous? Have you heard of the gospel, the good news of the generous forgiveness of sins, and our sin debt canceled? By a merciful and gracious God? You sit there and say, you want to be more like Jesus, you need to be generous. Well, tell me how Jesus was
2: generous again. Everybody admires greed. Generosity. Let me tell you something. And and by the way, generosity, you're not saying, well, I'm going to take my tithe and buy their groceries. Generosity is over and above the 10%. Well, I gave God 10%, the 90% is mine. (laughs) It's still his. Well, God just wants my money. If He wanted it, He would take it, and there isn't jack that you could do about it. So just thank Him for what you have, and worship Him with all of it.
0: Yeah, that boy, that that makes me want to worship God right there. I mean, telling me that uh, if he, if He wanted my money, He'd take it, and there's there's not jack that I could do about it. Whew, that just tells me of the love and mercy and generosity of Jesus Christ right there. I mean, ooh, ooh. yeah, I can feel myself repenting and, and, uh, and trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Like, you know, well, I don't feel it at all.
2: I'm a product of people's generosity. I know what it's like to have nothing. I've told this church before. This
0: will be a great place to talk about how all of us have nothing before a righteous God because of our sin.
2: 아. first received Christ, I was living in a trailer that we were paying $40 a week for. I didn't have church clothes. I remember a Sunday school class in my first church, taking up a love offering in the Sunday school class and the preacher taking me to Belk and spending $200 on me so that I would actually have clothes to wear to church. I remember the first church that I served, a guy would come up to me and shake my hand every Sunday and in his hand was a $20 bill. I was a college student. You know why that $20 bill meant so much? Because the church was paying me 50 bucks a week And I was driving from Anderson to Pickens two to three times a week spending that in gas, and I appreciated his generosity. I remember when the deacons in that church called a meeting, and and I went to it, and it was actually a good one for me because they had taken up a love offering and took me to SNK over in Greenville and bought me two suits. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of generosity, and God has called you... Again, this would be a great point, a great place to insert
0: the generosity of God in forgiving our sins. Gospel, heard of it?
2: And I, when we see a need as a Christian, too many of us pray about it or inform others. When the need comes in front of your eyes, meet the need in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. When you tithe and you give offerings, and you're generous, God will bless your socks off. I have seen it. I had $120,000 in debt in 2000. How much debt you got now? Nothing. I've had people say, I was a preacher. You talked the other day, you and Lucretia went to Hawaii. I ain't never had a preacher who went to Hawaii before. Maybe you've never had a preacher that wasn't in debt. I put God first in my finances. I got on a budget. I began to establish things. And you know what? When you don't owe Visa and you don't owe MasterCard and you don't owe American Express and you don't finance your lifestyle, you can go a lot of places and do a lot of things. I've had, I've had people say, that's a nice Yukon you're driving. Yes, it is. And it's paid for. When you don't owe... You've got freedom. And it's amazing how jealous some people will get over somebody that's got financial freedom because you're in financial debt.
0: Uh, jealousy, would that fall under the sin of coveting? Are, are, are you completely oblivious to sins except for the sin of not tithing?
2: <sighs> hey, you know what? You can break those chains too. Don't hate me because I broke... My- you can break those chains. Are you going to talk about the chains that Christ broke? Ah. <sighs> mine. Elisha told the woman, you put God, you, you give God what you've got and he will bless you and make it go further. So this is what happened. Verse, uh, chapter four, verse five, she left him and she was probably thinking this was crazy. This is crazy and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. (laughs) When all the jars were full, she said to her sons, "Bring Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. When did the oil stop flowing? When they ran out of jars. God got supernaturally involved in what this woman had, and because she was willing to trust God and take a step of faith, he took it further. He filled up every single jar. The promise was made before the woman
0: did anything. Is it because the woman was so faithful or because the one who promised was faithful? You're focusing on the wrong person.
2: Jar with what she had. He didn't give her more until she trusted him with what she had. I'm telling you, for some of us in this room, until you let go of what you've got, God will never give you what you could. God will never give you more. You got to let go of what you got until God. I trust you with this. Let me just read some verses. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. In other words, He comes first. You don't pay everything and then give. You honor God first, and then He takes your oil and stretches it
0: Do I honor and serve God because I want more or do I trust God because he's forgiven me and I can't help but honoring and serving him because those are the fruits of repentance and the generosity that flows in my life is as a result of the generosity that flows from the gospel in my own life.
2: further than it could have ever gone on your, he could do more with the 90% than you and I could ever do with a hundred or some of us, 105, 110% because we keep financing everything. He said, honor me with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, then promise, promise. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I I can't afford, I can't afford this. Psalm 37 verse 25 and 26. I was young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Who are the righteous?
0: Are the righteous those who have made themselves righteous? Or are the righteous those who trust in Christ and have Jesus' righteousness imputed to them as a gift? And therefore, as a result of that righteousness, they... Love and honor and serve God and their neighbors.
2: Their children will be blessed. Putting God first in your finances, getting on a budget, getting in control, it's not only setting you up for success, it's setting your kids up for success. Please don't strap your kids down with debt. We've got college kids today that they're in college and they're having to pay for their own college because their parents were stupid financially. Now, if you're a college kid, don't don't leave here and tell your parents, you're stupid. I didn't say that. You just don't do it to your kids. Are you willing to put him first? The last one, am I seasonal? Or st- yeah, so there it is. That, see, that's the problem. It's,
0: you, know, you just have a priority problem. You just need to put God first. Get to work. Get cracking. You need to do, 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 do. This is all law, no gospel. And by the way, the law does uh, have wonderful uh, promises attached to it if you keep it perfectly. If not, then there's um, curses attached to it. He seems to forget
2: that little point. Serious. Aren't there some days you don't want to follow Jesus? Come on now, let's be honest. I just want to follow Jesus all the time. Well, we're glad you're here, Holy Spirit. The rest of us, we struggle. Because there are times that we're serious about Jesus and aren't there times where we're like, I don't think this is a good season to follow him. I need to get out of season real quick. This happened to me on the plane to Miami. On Wednesday, I'm sitting in my seat. We're about 30 minutes before we land and the dude behind me Put his foot on my armrest. And I went, God, why does this always happen to me? He's like, because you need an illustration. I'm like, I know, but I'm about to get in a fight on this plane. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to ignore it. Maybe he's sleeping and maybe he'll put it down. And he didn't. He just kind of started moving a little bit. And I was like, I'm about to get out of season. I looked at the guy next to me, big guy. I looked at him. He looked at me, and he looked back at the dude, and he looked at me. And he kind of looked at me like, I got your back if you want to kill him. <laughs> and I was like, dear God, I know I'm supposed to follow you. I know I'm supposed to love you, Jesus. And, Jesus, I know that you said you've been tempted in every way, but I've read the Bible. I've never seen where somebody put a foot on, their ar- on your armrest. And I'm struggling. And I was, I, I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to say something. And God, you're sovereign. So if you don't want me to throw his butt out the window, you're going to have to intervene here. I, was, I turned around. It was a preacher friend of mine. He knew me. He was laughing like crazy. He's like, I got you. So I punched him in the throat. I didn't, but isn't it funny how little things will cause us to get out of season? Little things will ca- get out of season.
0: Would that be code talk for sin? Unbelievable. I just, ah. Oh. Would it kill him to talk about sins? Would it kill him to talk about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ? Oh, this is just all moralistic pietism. Just unbelievable. Bad Bible
2: interpretation on top of it. Ugh. It Calls us to get out of season. Some of us today were out of season financially. Because a bad problem or a... Out of
0: season. I'm fall when I should be winter or am I spring when
2: I should be summer? I'm confused. good problem can cause us to get out of season. This woman had, this woman had a little bit in her house. God multiplied it, got involved supernaturally. She comes back. I mean, I mean, all these oil jars. Now, what would you suppose a woman with blessing would do? You know what a lot of us who are blessed do? We take that blessing and we run off and we blow it all on ourselves, and we we never ever consider asking God what he what's he what does he want to do with it. But
0: the- keep in mind, if you had read the story, um, uh, the hang on a second here, I just you know, it's just driving me nuts. I just I can't, I cannot believe what I'm listening to. It's unbelievable. Oh, do I sound frustrated? When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. He said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. God miraculously provided. She came to the man of God, told him what happened, and then he gave her instructions on what to do
2: next. (sighs) But The woman took the blessing and came back to Elijah, and the Bible says this. She went and told the man of God what had just happened. He was like, I knew it was going to happen. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Here's what, here's, here's what is so key about this. God knew that he could trust this woman with a blessing because after she was blessed, she didn't run out and just blow it all. She brought every-
0: God knew he can trust this woman with a blessing. Nowhere does it say that in the Scripture. He was just being generous and merciful and kind. It's not like God says, you know what, I wonder if I can trust Chris with the forgiveness of sins. You know, I I don't know. Well, maybe I'll die for him, and and, and, and if if he can show me that I can trust him with this incredible blessing, then maybe I'll I'll give him the forgiveness of sins.
2: Everything back to God and said, God, what is it that you want me to do with this? And he didn't say, you've got to give it all and be poor and live in a cave. He said, you know what, go pay off your debt. Christians, go pay off your debt and then live on the rest. Live on the rest. I mean, get some clothes and get a house and take care of yourself. My gosh, you're my child. I want you to be taken care of. But the key here is this woman brought her blessing back in front of God. Here's my question for you. Can God trust you with a blessing?
0: No, I'm a sinner. So are you. How am I supposed to prove to God that I can be trusted when I sin against him constantly? Ugh.
2: Can God trust you with what he's blessed you with? You said, Peter, why would you preach an entire message on giving? You know why I preach an entire message on giving? Because if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to be a giver. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His gift to you and me was Jesus. He uh, didn't. Oh, 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 oh,
0: finally! Hang on a second here. We got a little bit of gospel. I got a note when it came into the sermon. All right. Let's see what he does with it. Let's see if, it, if this actually is an afterthought, a footnote, a gospel nugget flying in at mock speed, or if this is going to be an actual legitimate full point.
2: Nickel and Damas to death. He gave us his best. And if we're going to follow him, he gets our best, not our leftovers.
0: No, that wasn't even a gospel nugget. Let me back it up, make sure I heard it correctly here. I'm just absolutely
2: getting frustrated with this. In front of God, here's my question for you. Can God trust you with a blessing? Can God trust you with what he's blessed you with? Mr. "Peter, Why would you preach an entire message on giving? You know why I preach an entire message on giving? Because if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to be a giver. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His gift to you and me was Jesus. He didn't nickel and dime us to death. He gave us...
0: His gift to us was Jesus. No explanation. Uh, okay, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Invite him to dinner? Does he like
2: steak? Beans? What does he eat? Oh. <sighs> his best and if we're gonna follow him he gets our best not our leftovers
0: law 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 law. no gospel law law you gotta you gotta you gotta if you're gonna be a, then you gotta you gotta you nothing about what christ has done for you at all nothing except for uh, our gift to us from god was jesus Uh, you know thanks i think what does that mean Please don't clap for this. It'll just encourage him.
2: Invitation is going to be a little different today. Because a year ago, we had a commitment card in a bulletin. For those of you in Florence, you didn't know about this. We had a commitment card, and we asked people to sign up and say, I'm going to become a tither. I'm going to give 10%. We thought that was a great idea. We're not going to do that this year because we went back and checked the statistics, and 50% of the people that signed up never gave a dime. I don't want to set you up to be a liar this morning, and I don't want you to give out of guilt.
0: Uh,
2: um, <laughs> oh gosh, uh, Perry, um,
0: you lied about what God's word said, so you lied. Um, you've you've talked about coveting and idolatry. You didn't even realize that's what you were preaching about. Obviously, you convict. You, you've talked about these people's sins, but it's you just called it being out of season, and you say you don't want them to give out of guilt, but yet you've done nothing but give them guilt trips and uh, emotional. Um, manipulation what would you like me to give what do you want these people to give out of you say you want you to give from the heart generously but you've told us nothing about the generosity of God yet 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 the chapter where you quoted one verse makes it clear that our generosity flows from the gospel the good news of Christ's death on the cross for our sins God generously canceling our debt of sin setting us free from sin death and the devil You said that if you you want to be more like Jesus, you've got to be generous,
2: but you haven't told us how Jesus was generous at all. (sighs) I want you to give because you decide I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ.
0: Just unbelievable. Really? So you, you said you didn't want them to, you didn't want to set them up to be liars. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I mean, fully devoted, fully devoted. If somebody was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then they wouldn't sin. They would experience sinless perfection. Unless, of course, you have something else in mind when you mean fully devoted. Maybe you mean half devoted or maybe a quarter, or 10% tithe devoted. This is all
2: law. There is no gospel here. Well, I don't want to give to this church. Give to another church. That's fine. You don't lose money giving to the church. By the way, we had people sign up those cards, too. This will make some people mad. Um, Some of the people signed the card. You either said, I'm going to commit to tither, or I am going to be a tither. We went back and checked. Everybody said they were a tither, and 20% of the people that checked they were tithers lied. You can't check that. You said it. Don't lie in church.
0: Like you did about what God's word says.
2: I'm asking you, is Jesus first in your finances? Because you've got to decide today whether you surrender all or surrender some.
0: By the way, the surrender all. That's the standard all he's talking about. Perfection. All.
2: All. But here's the invitation. Here's what we want to set you up to do. During the I'm gonna some guys are going to come out and they're gonna sing in just a second. I know some of you during this, you take off and leave, and that's fine. I'm so glad you are here, and so many other people needed to hear this other than you. That is awesome. But for the rest of the people that God needs to deal with, are you fully surrendered in this area of your finances? Some of you are like, I don't know how I can fully surrender in this area of my finances. I am strapped. I am out of control. I don't know how to get out of control. Every campus right now, you have this in your bulletin. You have this little card. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. You have this little card. Some of you don't want to do this. It's it's called pride. That's fine. That's fine. You want to stay in a financial hole? That is your business. On this card, Monday night in Greenville, Tuesday night at Anderson, Wednesday night in Florence, Joe Sangle is going to be teaching his financial learning experience. He's going to teach you how to set up a budget. He's going to teach you how to get out of debt. He's going to teach you how to have financial hope.
0: Because Jesus taught the disciples all about financial management. And as part of the early church, uh, the
2: Christian church taught people how to budget and how to, yeah, uh uh-huh. He's going to teach you all of these things. All you got to do is show up. It's from 6 o'clock to 830. If you'll show up, we will feed you. We will provide your meal. We'll provide child care for you. But you've got to sign up. If you will sign up, I'm telling you, we will do. We're, listen, I don't want a thing from you. We want something for you. We want for you to live in freedom.
0: By the way, a couple of years ago, I read a an article by Rick Warren and, uh, talking about this very issue. And it was very interesting because it was one of those kind of like inside church pastoral strategy kind of uh, websites. And in that website, in that article, um, he basically said that um, in order for a church to have the money that it needs to grow into a you know and, and attract more people they need to uh, they need to help people become tithers and so the reason why many purpose driven churches offer financial seminars and workshops like the one that perry's uh promoting here is so that they can get those people out of debt so that they will then in turn. Tithe. Just, you know, a practical thing there.
2: So sign up for this class. Some of you are like, I'm just in college. There's not a better time to go through this because you didn't learn how to do it in high school. You learned the periodic chart of elements, something that's really going to help you in life, but you didn't learn how to balance a checkbook. We'll teach you that.
0: Because the disciples, you know, they were all about teaching that to the, you know.
2: All you got to do is sign up. All you got to do is sign up, and as you leave on whatever campus, just give it to one of the ushers at the door. Just give it to one of the ushers, and they'll take it. And then, if you want to get serious about giving, you need to start. I mean, there's an the envelope on your bulletin. You can tear it off. You can mail a check every week. You can give online. You can give during the offering. I'm just I, listen. It's isn't about money. This is about are you surrendered. The last thing as you leave on every one of our. Ca-
0: it's not about money. It's are you
2: surrendered. Do you
0: wave a white flag? Is that the first step in surrendering? Where, oh, I'm just. This is aggravating. Absolutely aggravating. This is not fruit of repentance. This is not the fruit of faith that he's preaching. He's trying to produce, quote, good works within you by browbeating you with the law and, and completely withholding the gospel. This is spiritual malpractice of the highest order. This is the Galatian heresy in practice. Bro, the, the issue is not circumcision, it's tithing. Are you surrendered?
2: I surrender. Campuses, we want to give you a book called The Treasure Principle. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give you this book. It's one of the best books I've ever read on putting God first in your finances. You could read it this afternoon. We're going to give it to you. We're just going to ask one copy per family, one copy per family. And if you, if you pick it up, read it. I'm telling you, it is an unbelievable book that will rock your world. Are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, it's a tough message.
0: Yeah, it's a tough message because it's all law, no gospel. By the way, if you, would have, if you had taken me up on that bet, um, you owe me a shiny penny. Um, you know what, though? I wonder if I lost the bet. There was no gospel in that at all. None, none, none. Unbelievable. Folks, listen. God's word does clearly teach that if we sow sparingly, we bless us and provide for us graciously. But when we give, we're cheerful givers, and that flows from the grace and mercy of God shown to us by Christ's death on the cross for our sins. And so when you give and when you tithe, you're not to do it out of compulsion. You are to do it literally, literally, from the grace and mercy flowing to your life, through your life, to others. The good news of the gospel is the thing that, that literally guides and drives our giving. Because we understand that it's through our giving, that God gives to us in order to give. God blesses us in order for us to bless. That's really how it works in Christianity. Everything flows from the gospel. So the good news for you, dear Christian, listening even now in this long sermon review, is that Christ died for your sins. You haven't surrendered and you can't surrender enough. You have dishonored God. You have committed sins against God. You've coveted. You've, you've made money an idol. You have literally broken God's holy and righteous commands regarding these things. That's the bad news. The bad news it gets even worse. Through your rebellion against God, you've actually earned hell. But there's another word There's another word in scripture, and it's the gospel. The good news that Christ died even for those sins. Even now, the sins that you've committed today, yesterday, the sins that you've committed since becoming a Christian, since being baptized, even those sins Christ died for. And he loves you and is calling you graciously to repent and receive the refreshing forgiveness of sins, again, anew, won for you by Christ on the cross. To see yourself in in light of God's law and understand the huge debt that you owe to God and then see the great mercy of God in canceling that entire debt by what Christ has done for us on the cross. That is the message that changes us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit, not manipulation and not the law. So that when you give, it is a fruit of your repentance. It is a fruit of the forgiveness of sins flowing in your life. God blessing you so that you can bless others. And I do. I have seen it before where God has blessed people with more and they end up blessing people with more. That's how it. God expects it, expects it to work. Because our good works are a light that shines before men so that they may give glory to our God. That's the biblical way of looking at tithing, at giving. And Perry got it all 100% wrong, and there was no gospel in this. It was just pure, pietistic, browbeating legalism. Unbelievable. Well, folks, we are rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And I hate to do this, but it's necessary. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is only capable of coming to you because of your generous contributions and partnership with us so that we can pay our bills and continue bringing fighting for the faith to you. Plain and simple. Based upon the gospel, the good news of Christ's death on the cross for your sins that we proclaim here and day in and day out, Would you graciously and generously contribute to Fighting for the Faith so that we can continue to bring this important radio message to you as well as other people? You can support us a couple of ways. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you're there, click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. It'll redirect you to a secure um, page on your browser where you can send your contribution in a gift so that we can keep going. Or you can uh, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and if you would like to email me, you can talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or uh, ask to be my friend on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen.